Hey, it's Jonas Knox. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com forward slash credit card. Oh, 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 you need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Billie Eilish and Phineas O'Connell, they're with us today on Crew Call. I'm your host, Anthony D'Alessandro. Billie's vocals, it was automatic art. You know, I had to like choose a more challenging route than just like da-da-da-da. You know what I'm saying? Like it could have been like easier. And a lot of people have asked me like, how did you choose to have it be so soft and like so simple? And what else was it going to like? That's what the song wanted. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Crew Call podcast on Deadline. Live from the Geico Outkick Studios, where 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Visit geico.com for a free rate quote as well. Show this week brought to you by Black Rifle Coffee Company, veteran-owned, veteran-roasted. Visit blackriflecoffee.com today and use the code FOXSPORTS20 for 20% off your first order. Well, I would say this morning is probably the most Minnesota morning of all. Right now, as we start the show, it is minus 8 degrees outside, according to my always trusty iPhone, and that is pretty cold. And so wherever you are across the country, if it is not minus 8 degrees, then I would say to you, congratulations. You're not freezing your ass off like we are here on the Friday before Super Bowl 52. We've had an incredible week of shows. Last chance to come see us here at the Mall of America, third floor in the food court uh, here outside of Minneapolis. And uh, it has been a really loaded week of activity. Hour one. So you're out there thinking right now, what do they got? What do they got for the final day of the show? Hour one, we're going to talk to both Casey Smith, who usually joins us, and Todd Furman, who usually joins us. So you'll hear from both of those uh, individuals. And also in hour two, you will hear from... Uh, Doug Flutie, and then in hour three we'll talk to Ron Jaworski. All of that still to come. I think a lot of fun to come here from our final day on Radio Row. Uh, but to me, a couple of things I guess to hit off the top here. First of all, I hope none of you get shoved like Russell Westbrook got shoved on the basketball court at the end of the game. I imagine that will end up being a decent story, at least to argue that there needs to be a bit more security on the court. Um, and I would think the NBA would try to probably remedy it. To me, though, this is uh, a morning where everybody sits around and says, 
what's actually going to happen in the Super Bowl. And, and I think that's probably the number one way we are going to approach today's show. It's our final Friday. Obviously, Monday we'll be back and we'll talk about the overall outcome. But to me, this is the day where you sit back and you say, man, there are a lot of potential outcomes of this game. And by far the one that I can't stop thinking about is we all know what will happen if Tom Brady wins this football game, right? Like there's no real shock about Brady standing as the greatest of all time. There's no surprise from anyone if Tom Brady wins his sixth title. The Patriots are favored to do it. Bill Belichick, six different Super Bowl with eight chances. Nothing changes about Tom Brady. What changes, I think, on a substantial level and is difficult to reconcile for some time to come, probably, is what if Nick Foles wins this Super Bowl? How many teams out there recalibrate their decision-making and believe, you know what, maybe we can actually win a title? I think certainly the story changes from, oh, Trent Dilfer is an aberration, to, hey, if Nick Foles can do it, maybe we can too. Because for a long time, Trent Dilfer has been the answer whenever you say, you know what, you've got to have a really good quarterback to win the Super Bowl. I mean, you go through the list of teams that have won with a quarterback, other than Joe Flacco, just about everybody who's won a Super Bowl in recent history is going to be a first ballot NFL Hall of Famer. Whether it's Tom Brady, whether it's Peyton Manning, whether it is Drew Brees, you run through the list of who has won a Super Bowl in recent history, and they're all almost immediate first ballot Hall of Famers. Not so much in this one. Uh, Nick Foles, I think, would change everything. And I'm bringing Jason Martin here. Uh, Jay Martin, you're one of the first people who broke down these numbers and actually talked about it. This would be Jeff Hostetler-like. And when Carson Wentz got hurt, you went and looked for the historical analogy and said, wait a minute, has there ever been a situation like this where a top guy like Carson Wentz, who is playing at an elite level, gets hurt, and a team season is not over. In fact, they end up being able to actually win a championship and uh, kind of break that down for us, the similarities now between Hostetler and, if it were to happen, between Hostetler and Nick Foles. Yeah, it's actually really similar. It happened within a week. Uh, Wentz was about a week before uh, what happened to Phil Sims back in 1990. December the 15th, 1990, leading up to the Giants against the Bills, Jeff Hostetler, who you just mentioned, he became frustrated Felt like he was all but done with football. Started talking about retirement because he just couldn't find a way, couldn't find a niche onto the field. By the way, which all sounds like Nick Foles because the talk is that Nick Foles almost quit because he was just like, this is not, and whatever happened, my magic from that 27 touchdown, two interception season, I can't find it again. And he was basically frustrated and contemplating quitting. So so against Buffalo, Hostetler is called into the game. Sims has a foot injury. Giants lose and fall to 11-3. Again, awfully similar to what happened to the Philadelphia Eagles after the Rams game. Then Hostetler leads them to wins in their last two regular season games. They beat the Bears in the first playoff game. NFC title game against the 49ers. Hostetler has a knee injury, but he's able to come back into the game, throw a couple of late scores, or lead to a couple of late scores. They win at 15-13. Then Super Bowl 25, 20-19, Giants beat the Bills. We all remember Scott Norwood goes wide left, misses the field goal, and you see the Giants win that football game. He goes 20-32 for 222 yards and a touchdown. Not like a spectacular performance, but certainly efficient enough to win that. This is, again... An NFC East team playing again an AFC East team 27 years ago in the Super Bowl. 
And Jeff Osteller won the Super Bowl for the Giants with an injured Phil Simms, who was among the best quarterbacks certainly in the league. You can certainly equate Carson Wentz and where he stands in the league pantheon of quarterbacks. And then you look at Nick Foles, the similarities are there. That's really the only example that you can find that really fits, but there's one out there. So if Philadelphia needs hope, there's your hope. And obviously I still think that the idea that Nick Foles could be a Super Bowl winning uh, champion and quarterback is one that makes everybody kind of give pause. Because again, this Final Four this year, Blake Bortles, not accomplished. Nick Foles, not accomplished. And Case Keenum, not accomplished. And if Brady goes on and wins, I think in retrospect we'll look back and say, yeah, I know they played a close AFC title game. And maybe the Super Bowl will be close too, like a lot of the other Super Bowls have been for the Patriots. But I think a lot of people will say, man, this was Brady's easiest route to a title. Because think about it, if Brady wins a title this year, he'll have had to beat Marcus Mariota, he'll have had to beat Blake Bortles, and he'll have had to beat Nick Foles. And two of those games would have been at home. And I know they came back and they played a tight game against Jacksonville, and Jacksonville's got a great defense and all of those arguments. But I don't think that there would have ever been an easier route to the quarterback through uh, quarterbacks, the route to the Super Bowl through quarterbacks than what we would have seen with that trio and consider who he dodged I mean think he dodged Alex Smith and Ben Roethlisberger both on the way to these games to play against Roethlisberger or against uh, Mariota and and while he might have played Case Keenum once the uh once the Vikings won that game crazily over Stephon Diggs I mean over uh over the Saints because of Stephon Diggs he barely dodged Drew Brees too that's right so if you think about how difficult the route could have been instead of the one that he got he could have had to play like you said Alex Smith Ben Roethlisberger. Two Hall of Famers and a pretty good quarterback in Alex Smith. Yeah, two Hall of Famers and two guys who have won uh, Super Bowls. Yes, that's right. So guys who have been literally to the the apex of their sport. Instead, he gets Mariota, he gets Bortles, and he gets, um, obviously, Nick Foles. And that's a big difference to me when you actually break all that down. Okay, we are breaking all this down. We are live, Mall of America, third floor of the food court. Already somebody is here watching says he listens every single morning i saw him coming in to buy uh, buy my bottle of uh, water to get started on the day so uh survive the cold if you happen to be in the area of the super bowl we're going to be up next i believe with todd Furman, and then we'll follow that up with casey smith going to talk to both of those guys here hour one outkick the coverage appreciate all of you hanging out with us all week long live from the radio row at the super bowl we will continue to roll here through friday lots to get to lots of fun to have Thanks for spending your Friday morning with us. I am Clay Travis. He is Jason Martin. This is Outkick the Coverage on Fox Sports Radio. Car shopping can be confusing with terms like dealer price, list price, and invoice. True Car shows you what other people paid for the car you want so you can recognize a good price. When you're ready to buy a new or used car, visit True Car to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Talking now with my guy Todd Furman. He's out in the desert up early with us on Friday. Usually he joins us on Thursday. Todd, how big is the handle here going to be for Patriots-Eagles, and how much excitement is there in Vegas? Can you fill it as the weekend gets closer? It's definitely started to crank things up a notch, and the expectation, if you believe what some of the offshore books like BetOnline.ag have hung, $145 million, uh, the going rate right now, which would break a state record yet again with the ongoing growth of uh, sports betting in this fine state, and I think we're poised to eclipse that when you consider one individual going around town trying to get down as many millions as the sports books will allow. But when you have such proud fan bases, Philadelphia fans haven't been here for quite some time, New England fans sick of going to the big game looking to do something a little bit different, uh, it should be an electric atmosphere throughout the sports books, and the betting handle will only uh, further support that. 
Todd, I'm glad you mentioned all the big money being wagered. I don't remember ever there being a year in 2017, and certainly now we're into 2018, where all the million-dollar bets have been chronicled like they are. Um, Is that just a sign of the growing acceptance of gambling, of the amount of information that is now out there publicly? You've been doing this longer than I have, but I just don't remember very many times where – people would have come out and said, oh, you know, we've got this guy who's got a million dollars on a ticket. It seems like every week we've got gambling tickets going viral and these big wagers are getting more and more attention. Maybe it was Floyd Mayweather back in the day. He would only, you know, tweet out the gambling tickets that he won and how much money he had, he had wagered on the events. But this has become kind of a uh, almost a viral cottage industry where bets are getting uh, massive amounts of attention. Yeah, definitely a big part. I think as the gambling industry has gained more acceptance, as you alluded to, you have more folks covering it, some reputable, some not so much, trying to find those storylines that are most compelling. And when you think about clickbait, what better way than a seven-figure wager that comes in? Sportsbook sharing a lot of that details as they try and help out some of their PR. Back in the day when I worked behind the counter at Caesars, we had a customer that was able to bet 200000 per game uh, on the NFL during the regular season. Under the stipulation, they bet at least eight games any given Sunday, and those limits would increase every round of the playoffs up to the Super Bowl where they were able to bet a million dollars. However, we were under a moratorium not to speak about it, not to disclose that level of privacy, and still to this day I really don't share publicly who that individual was. Meanwhile, now, while we don't know the exact identity of one of the guys going around town trying to put down the seven-figure wagers, it doesn't matter if you bet at stations, casinos, you bet at a Cantor property, you bet at MGM, etc. That information gets out there. And I don't want to say it's a pissing contest between these books, uh, but everyone wants to share, hey, we're taking the big bets, hoping that they can try and invite in other big players moving forward as we see events of this magnitude. I think a lot of our listeners have placed bets, nowhere near the amount that we're talking about right now. How is it different when it comes to placing like a million-dollar wager different than what would happen if you or I went up to place, I don't know, a $100 wager or a $500 wager or even a $1,000 wager, which are dollar figures that are a lot more comfortable by and large to the sports book? How does a million-dollar wager get placed? How much behind-the-scenes work is there? Yeah, I think a lot of people have this vision in their head that somebody walks up with a briefcase, they open it up, whether it be silver or black, flip it, much like we've seen in the movies in the past, and boom, there's a million dollars in cash and someone starts counting it out. That is not how it unfolds by any stretch. Uh, These are arrangements, as you mentioned, that have to be set up well in advance with the casino cage, oftentimes with casino marketing where you're wiring in the funds, they'll print the ticket through the system, and sometimes the individual won't actually even walk away from the cage with the ticket with the advent of the mobile apps that they'll have all of this done electronically you win your bet that money then gets wired back to you or in some opportun- some instances you do have the ticket you can put in your pocket for show uh, but imagine walking around with 20 million dollars in tickets a little bit nerve-wracking that being said no one is going to be able to cash those tickets except the individual uh, so a lot more of this is done electronically and digitally uh, than it is customers with cash but by the same token, uh, there were plenty of experiences I had where I did have folks walk up to the counter, maybe it was the Sunday two weeks before Super Bowl, with a grocery bag of rolled crumpled up 20s, hundreds, and you begin to wonder where is this money coming from that wanted about fifteen dollars or $20,000. So Super Bowl brings everybody out of the woodwork, and it's always one of those fun times to be behind the counter because you have no idea what you're going to see until you actually see it. Right now, the line right around Patriots four and a half, the over under 48 and a half most places. What do you think the line will do as it moves closer to kickoff, or are we pretty much set where we are? 
Books have the nice luxury, Clay, uh, of not having to move to a key number of four, and I don't think we'll see it get to a key number of six. So we're in that dead zone between four and a half and five and a half. The interesting part has been the betting trends, though. I uh, spoke to a couple books so far this week, and while they anticipate Patriots money coming in uh, over the next 48 hours up till kickoff, they've seen two-to-one ticket counts on the Philadelphia Eagles. Some books think six out of every ten tickets on Philadelphia, which is shocking considering that New England has always been a public darling and in every one of their Super Bowls over the last couple, you've seen the books rooting against the Patriots covering, which thankfully has worked out for them to the tune of New England going 3-4 and four against the number. But recency bias plays a major role, and we've talked about it at great lengths with other games. New England wins by the slimmest of margins against Jacksonville. Philadelphia looks like world beaters, scoring 38 straight points in their win against the Minnesota Vikings. And you've seen books forced to respond to what the betting market is telling them. I would just caution folks that want to make a case for Philadelphia. You're buying Eagle stock at the top of the market. This was a team that was a field goal underdog to the Vikings and Falcons. New England far superior to both of those teams. And now on a neutral field, this number sits at four, four and a half. So be careful what you wish for. I think New England may have a few wrinkles and tricks up their sleeve to try and attack that vaunted Philadelphia defense. Why do you think people are buying the Eagles? I mean, that is kind of a surprise. It's rare, I think, that the sports book is surprised by where the money comes in, right? And so the money has come in on the Eagles. Is this just long-suffering Eagle fans who want to say, hey, I bet on the Eagles to win the Super Bowl? Is there some reason that you can think of for why this money would be coming in like it is? Uh, I think just people have gravitated towards the Eagles stories, whether it's the cute underdog masks they've won, whether it's the margin of victory where people discounted them against the Vikings. And you do have a sense of Patriots fatigue. So recreational bettors, some of the folks that are plunking down smaller cash, you know, if they're going to play a money line bet, they want to put up a little to make a lot. So they put up their 10 bucks to make 16.50 or 17 bucks on Philadelphia, more so than trying to make a case to the Patriots. That being said, though, there is very real money from professional bettors that's coming on Philadelphia as well. But a lot of those folks may be looking to isolate a middle. You bet Philadelphia at the top of the market taking six. You know that money line price is going to crash and offer a much different dynamic than what it would for a game normally priced in the four and a half range. And you can lay the Patriot money line closer to kickoff, hoping the game falls one through six, allowing you to win one or maybe both of your bets uh, without having any real risk going to it. What do you think about the over-under here? Uh, for me, uh, I personally wanted the total to come out a little bit lower so I could go over. So I'm hoping that game comes out and it's played a little bit slower, maybe scoreless through the first five to seven minutes, and I'll have a chance to go over the total live. Uh, if the number dipped to 44, uh, I see a lot of advantages for both these offenses against their respective defenses. And if you watch Bill Belichick's body language all week long at the various pressers he's done, the one question he continues to get asked is how the Patriots have been held scoreless in the first quarter of every Super Bowl they've played in. Uh, I think he's going to have a few different tricks and maybe empty the playbook a little bit more, forcing the Eagles to potentially play from behind compared to a feeling it out like a heavyweight fight as he's done with elite-level quarterbacks and some of the Patriots' other trips to the game when you look at uh let's uh take a minute go away from the super bowl and talk about the other big news that happened super bowl week in terms of the nfl when you look at what happened with alex smith being traded to the redskins and now with kirk cousins in theory out there to be grabbed by another team how much line movement in terms of futures do you think we see on alex smith to the redskins and also who would stand to gain the most if they signed cousins in terms of their odds to win the Super Bowl? Well, I think you have a pretty good idea, Clay, on what Alex Smith will do to the Redskins' Super Bowl odds. Yeah, he will not move the needle 
in the least. So while Alex Smith, great for him that he's able to get $71 million guaranteed, not going to help the outlook on the Redskins bringing a Super Bowl trophy uh, to the nation's capital. So that won't change things at all. When we look at some of the other teams that are likely landing spots for Kirk Cousins, BetOnline.ag makes the Denver Broncos the odds-on favorite right now at 3-2. to two. The Jets, the second favorite, slightly behind them at a shade better than 2-1. to one. The Cleveland Browns check in in the middle at 11-2. to two. And then you look at the Jaguars at 6-1 to one and the Cardinals at 7. Uh, I think Denver has some major holes they need to fill, but quarterback was clearly one of the biggest vacancies uh, of a roster need. You look at the performance of... Paxton Lynch, Brock Osweiler, Trevor Simeon. Kirk Cousins is a significant upgrade, but John Elway would need to go out and acquire you know, other talented receivers. He'd need to make sure he keeps that secondary intact. Uh, but if Denver picked up a quarterback of Kirk Cousins' ability level, uh, I think in a very competitive AFC West, we're talking about the Broncos' uh, viable division contenders. I'm just not sure they'd still have enough to get out of the AFC. Rumor popping on Thursday. We talked about it a little bit on the show. Uh, LeBron James potentially to the Warriors. Is there any point if you put LeBron and Kevin Durant and Steph Curry on the same team in the event that that was even remotely possible? Is there any point at all in playing the 2019 NBA season? I'm not sure there's a point in playing out the rest of the 2018 NBA season right now with what (laughs) Golden State has. And if you added the greatest player in the game to that Golden State Warriors roster, uh, there would be some major questions about competitive balance. The NBA would end up trending more towards European soccer where you have a couple elite clubs that dictate the entire landscape. Uh, But no, you'd probably see Golden State open as the heaviest favorite in the history of our four major sports. Uh, you'd be talking about them with LeBron James added to the fold. I could see a scenario where they were about a 1-7 to seven favorite, quite honestly, because I don't think any other team in the Eastern or Western Conference would be able to compete. So while Adam Silver may want to try and get ratings by putting together some of these super teams, you do have to worry about the way the NBA would be trending if there's a scenario where Golden State is a- able to add LeBron into that talented fold. All right, last question for you. Do you have any prop bets? We're talking with Todd Furman. You can go follow him on Twitter at Todd Furman. Do you have any prop bets that you really love? Uh, Obviously, a lot of people like to entertain themselves by betting something other than the game itself. Are there any that you particularly like? I've dabbled a few. Unfortunately, some of these numbers aren't available. But Deion Lewis receptions, uh, that number opened two and a half. I feel comfortable with people who wanted to go up to over three and a half. Uh, I think he'll play a big role in the short passing game to try and nullify some of what Philadelphia wants to do, bringing pressure with their front four. Uh, Steven Goskowski's first kickoff to be anything but a touchback. You should be able to find some plus money. We knew the Patriots have employed a mortar-style approach in the past, and so I think when you're looking at the math there, if you can find them at plus 130 or better, that's an investment worth making. One of the more generic ones that you'll be able to find, I think Tom Brady in the biggest games, we've seen him sling it all over the yard. Over-under on completions, 26.5 out there. Uh, I like that over. And the cross-sport prop that I dabbled in in a very small capacity, Steph Curry to make more three-pointers uh, in the Warriors game against the Nuggets on Saturday night than Alshon Jeffrey will have it for receptions in the big game on Sunday. Jeffrey, ice number I set right, three and a half, four. I think Steph Curry could have between five and seven against the Nuggets perimeter defense. All right, my man, that's Todd Furman. Let me toss it to my other main man, uh, Eddie Garcia. Find out what's shaking the world of sports. And then after Eddie, we got Casey Smith here live, Radio Row. I'm Clay Travis. It's Outkick the Coverage on Fox Sports Radio. But first, 
Eddie Garcia, take it away, my man. All right, Clay, quick update on what happened last night in the NBA. We had the Detroit debut of Blake Griffin. He goes for 24 points and 10 rebounds as the Pistons beat the Grizzlies 104-102. Rockets go on the road, beat the Spurs 102-91. That's San Antonio's fifth home loss in 27 games a season. Nuggets get a three-pointer at the buzzer to top the Thunder 127-124. Wizards over the Raptors 122-119, and the Timberwolves beat the Bucks 108-289. College Hoops, five ranked teams in action, including number one Villanova, who rolled over Creighton 98-78. Wildcats improved to 21-1 on the season. There were two ranked teams that lost. Number 16, Wichita State, fell at Temple 81-79 in overtime. Number 25, Arizona State, lost at Washington 68-64. This report brought to you by True Car. Online car shopping can be confusing, but not anymore. With True Price from True Car, now you'll know the exact price you'll pay for your next car. So visit True Car and enjoy a more confident car buying experience. And Clay, no surprise here, but it is official. New England Patriots star tight end Rob Gronkowski is out of the league's concussion protocol. He will be ready to play. Sunday in the Super Bowl. Good deal. Patriots be at their best on the offensive side of the ball. It's important coming to you live from the Geico Outkick Studios where it's easy to save 15% or more on car insurance with Geico. Go to geico.com or call 800-947-AUTO. The only hard part, figuring out which way is easier as well. I'd like to thank ViewSonic for decking out our set with 20 massive 4K monitors easily making the Fox Sports Radio set the very best set here on Radio Row. ViewSonic see the difference. I'm not kidding about that. If you have come by, as many of you have, i got to give props to the OutKick Nation out there. Many of you have come by to say hi, including guys already early this morning coming to check out Radio Row. And if you see our set, they did a world of a job here. ViewSonic, but also everybody affiliated with Fox Sports Radio and what they put together here. Just a really good a bit of uh, detail work here. We bring in now Casey Smith onto that set. She usually joins us in the final hour every Friday. Instead, she's joining us here in the first hour of bright and early. Casey, you're in Boston. You've been in Boston all season long. How confident are you the Patriots are going to get it done on Sunday? I'm pretty confident, but I don't think that it's going to be a blowout by any means. We know that they play close Super Bowls anyways, but this team has a lot of different issues they've gone through through the season. And I don't think Nick Foles is near as bad as people want to make him out to be, Clay. I really don't. How tired are you? I'm exhausted. (laughs) I am so exhausted. Can you hear it in my voice? Is that why you're saying this? No, I always think it's interesting for people who are, you know, kind of paying attention to the media coverage that's coming from Radio Row and television, which you've been doing all week. It's a long week. There are lots of events to go to. There are lots of obligations, both certainly work-wise, but then also socially. Everybody's out of their element because they're outside of their normal town. Um, there's just lots of details to take care of. And by the time you get to Friday, everybody's sick. Like, it's, it's definitely like the voices <laughs> are getting worse. Everything. A lot of hungover. But, I mean, how tiring is this week compared to, like, a week that you would do normally in Boston with your show? Well, I can sleep in for however long I want to in the mornings. I don't have kids. I have nothing to take care right. of. So I can, you know, wake up at 1 o'clock in the afternoon if I want to. Here, you know how it goes. You work all day, you party all night, and then you have to rinse and repeat every single morning. You get up much earlier than me, but I think I'm probably going to bed when you guys have to get here. It's so. almost, it's, it's crazy. Like, you finish your show at midnight many times, and we start our day here by 4.30-ish in the central time zone. So, I mean, that's a, uh, that's a messy situation, too. Plus, you're on East Coast late nights. Mm-hmm. So, when you're in the central time zone, that's also a little bit of a, uh, a, little bit of a challenge. It's, it's easy to complain, but then you look and you're like, okay, so we're covering the Super Bowl, and we're going to parties and drinking for free. Oh, and by the way, we get paid to cover sports. So, at the end of the day, it's I'll take game. it any time. All right, so what 
will you do for Super Bowl weekend? Do you guys stay here for the game on Sunday, or do you go back? I actually have to fly back Saturday night, which is a bummer. I'm like, hello, we're, we're here. You guys are sitting yes. at home. But uh, I, I actually get to watch the Super Bowl in Boston as a fan, which is something I haven't gotten to which do in a long awesome. time. Yeah, so I kind of get the best of both worlds, but... Uh, we fly back late, late Saturday because we have to do like a bunch of parties on Saturday. Again, more, more parties. parties. <laughs> so how would you how would you quantify or, or contextualize the way that the average Patriot fan feels this week? Because I think there's a lot of people out there who are Eagles fans, and they're like, if we win this Super Bowl, my life as an Eagle fan is complete. Mm-hmm. The difference for Eagle fans between winning or losing is like life or death as a sports fan. For Patriot fans... This is their eighth Super Bowl with Belichick and Brady. They've already won five of them. If Boston loses, if the New England loses and everybody wakes up the Monday after the Super Bowl, what's the vibe of the city? Is it we're going to be right back here next year anyway? You don't win them all? Or are they in any way really crushed? I think that they would be really pissed because they think that they're that much better than this Eagles team. And, you know, you talk about Nick Foles. He's not Carson Wentz. But at the end of the day – the Eagles are playing with house money, in my opinion, because if they lose and it's like, well, wait a minute, we lost our starting quarterback in week 14. If they win, oh, my God, we just beat Tom Brady. The Patriots, if they lose, it's like, OK, you lost to a backup quarterback in Philadelphia. So I think they'd be pissed anyways, but they just assume they're going to win. I mean, they they've been here, what, three times in the last four years. Yes. So but the egos in New England, which is great, which makes my job so much more fun because everybody's so egotistical. But it's OK. You expect to be here, but you expect to win, too. We're talking to Casey Smith. So I went to college in Washington, D.C., and Washington to Baltimore to Philly to New York to, uh, to obviously Boston. That's the Northeast Corridor. You've only been in Boston a little while. Mm-hmm. Boston and New York have a big rivalry. Yes. Philadelphia and New York have a big rivalry. Do you get the sense that there's a Boston-Philadelphia rivalry, or is New York kind of the bridge that both hate? I think it's New York. And to be honest, I think that Patriots fans right now just feel like they're just better than not just the Eagles team, the Eagles fan base. Like and, you, and the city of Boston feels like it's substantially better than the city of Philadelphia, right? Feel, like you guys are looking down on Philadelphia. They look down upon everybody. Because yeah. I'm from Texas, as you know, and when I say that, people are like, oh, like they like pity me that I'm yeah. not from Boston. So, uh, no, I think that at the end of the day, you're looking at a rivalry just because they're in the Super Bowl, but it's more about they just like look down upon everything Philadelphia. But I, New York would absolutely be more of a rivalry. Especially but he, because the Giants have beaten the Patriots twice in the Super Bowl, and Eli feels they feel like stole two titles. Right, him. and he's still there. So it's like that hatred is, is still alive and well. But being a Dallas Cowboys fan, I hate the Philadelphia Eagles. So it's, we're finding common ground <laughs> yes. this week. And you see, like, and I, you've probably noticed it too, all the Vikings fans that are here, hate they hate the, Eagles, the fans. Eagles fans. Yes. So it's bizarre to see the Patriots as the least hated team in a Super Bowl because normally if you don't like the Patriots, you want to see them lose. I think it might be flip-flop this year so what did you think Tom Brady came out WEEI a big station in in Boston and he's got his reality show have you watched the Facebook yes. reality how is it I actually really like it it was pretty good I thought it was going to be interesting going into it when everybody was kind of talking crap about like oh it's going to be a TV 12 yes advertisement like don't you want to see like behind the scenes with a supermodel wife with Tom Brady right. and his family I think it's been great the last episode the third one that they put out I guess it's not the last the latest one you see Julian Edelman and Danny Amendola and Tom Brady on their like little bromance vacation. So tell me about these, these episodes. Are they like 30 minutes? I haven't watched minutes. it at all. 15 minutes. 15 like minutes. episodes. No commercials. No commercials. It's just straight through. And it's like documentary style, but also like like the last episode reminded me of kind of like an entourage thing. Yes. Without like all the sex and drinking and all that. <laughs> you know, they left that part out. <laughs> they left that part out. I'm sure it's just going on just as much. Um, but no, it's, it's just a behind the scenes kind of look at the way Tom Brady uh, works out. And then also... 
like when they lost to the Kansas City Chiefs earlier this season, there's an, a scene where Giselle is like, it's going to be okay, and like he's pissed. Like he doesn't even, even want to look at it. he's 40 and he's won all the games that he has, yes. he's furious over losing to the Chiefs to start the season. Yeah, it's an interesting kind of dynamic that you're seeing like, oh, he's actually relatable, so he gets like mad at his wife, and his kids are, you know, bossing him around, and, and then the, the episode with Julian and, and Danny Amendola, like they get into it. Like there's a lot of F-bombs, like they're screaming at each other. Julian Edelman is like, why are you making us work out all the time? And then they're like on the golf course and riding go-karts later together. It really makes him more relatable. And at the end of the day, it's fun to see because everybody just looks at him as like, okay, he's the greatest of all time, but what else does he do? So what did you think about the kid then? You actually watched this episode mm-hmm. when the guy said like uh, his annoying little piss ant. Did you watch it and think that kid seems like in any like what what I haven't seen it so it obviously became a big story. Were you surprised that Brady addressed it? Were you surprised that it became as big a story as it did? I wasn't surprised, but I, when I was watching that episode, in complete honesty, I didn't see anything wrong. She's five years old and she's excited about a soccer game. I believe is what it was. And whenever the whole thing like blew up, I was like, "What is he watching?" Like she's five years old. First of all, five years old should never. I mean annoying at five years old aren't we all annoying at five years old I've got three kids and a lot of them have been annoying over the years I gotta (laughs) be honest but I I don't have kids and I get annoyed by kids very often but I didn't (laughs) see anything wrong in that whatsoever and I mean kids should be off limits I mean if you want to go after Tom Brady if you even want to go after his wife and Giselle for whatever reason they're adults but that should never happen and the, the name pissant was the problem I would have handled it much worse than Tom Brady did. Like, I had no issue with what he did. I probably would have uh, sworn a lot more at them than they did. I thought he handled it with, for the lack of better words, grace. I don't know if you can say that about a football player, but he had grace. So what do you think happens on Sunday? What's your prediction? I think the Patriots are going to win. I think it's going to be close, and I think they're going to have to come from behind again. Probably not 28-3 to this year, but, I mean, we know that, that crazier things have happened. But I do think that it's going to be close. For sure. Uh, how much have you enjoyed this year in Boston? The whole year? Yeah. It's been crazy. I mean, you it's guys are nuts. the center of everything. And as soon as you finish this series, uh, the Super Bowl, I mean, the, the Celtics are amazing too, yeah. right? And then the Red Sox. I mean, like the teams are just all competing for championships. Yeah, it's nothing like I've ever seen. It's an embarrassment of riches. I know. And, and people, I think, take it for granted a little bit. And I've already started to take it for granted. I know we talked about this last week when I was on. Like all year, I'm just sitting there like, well, we're going to Minnesota. Like, there's no way that the Patriots aren't going to be in the Super Bowl. But it is really cool because it's the people in Boston love their sports like nobody else. And they have only one professional team for each major sport. When you look at major cities across the country, there could be two basketball teams, two baseball teams, two football teams. Not in Boston. Everybody's you, on the same right. team. If you love football, you love the Patriots and you, know, you get on the line. But it's been insane. And I covered the SEC. Those people are crazy. I think that people in Boston are crazier than SEC fans. That's an insane statement. That kind of puts into perspective. Casey Smith, K-A-Y-C-E Smith. Go follow her on Twitter. Thank you for coming on the show every week as she does. Good luck this weekend with the game. Thanks, Clay. That's Casey Smith. I am Clay Travis, and we're about to dive into two awesome stories. First of all, the worst Jeopardy sports players of all time. If you haven't heard this, last night there was a football category on Jeopardy, and you're going to be blown away by how awfully it went. Plus, the Eagles are sick. J-Mart and I were staying in the Eagles hotel. Is J-Mart able to use this as evidence that instead of being hungover, he was actually sick? He's going to try. All of that next. Final segment, hour one. Outkick the coverage live from the third floor of the Mall of America here in Minneapolis where it's a balmy minus eight degrees outside. This is Fox Sports Radio.
Wouldn't you love a bigger tax refund? TaxSlayer was recently rated number one for maximum refund, so you have more cash to spend on whatever the heck you want. This tax season, go out and slay it. Max your refund at TaxSlayer.com. As well, for all of you here in Minneapolis, get your official Super Bowl gear at one of the seven lids or locker room by lids stores in the Mall of America, including their largest store on the second floor of Macy's. Thanks to Lids for outfitting our set with official footballs, helmets, and pennants. Seven different Lids stores here. This place, I mean, has been a pretty outstanding location so far for Radio Row. I mean, you're right in a food court. Here we are, the third floor of the Mall of America on the north entrance, if you are curious where exactly we are. They open the doors officially at 6 a.m., and uh, so everybody is able to come in and watch Radio Row. And yesterday was by far the wildest day on Radio Row so far. Lots of good guests coming this way as we uh, work our way through um, all of the uh, all the guests today as well as uh, all the hours of Fox Sports Radio that are still coming your direction. What's up, Justin? Did you say seven lid stores? Yes. yes. In, in the mall? I vote, yes, in one mall. What? This mall, this mall is like different level. Size. I mean, I can see one lid store. I thought you meant in like Minneapolis. For- yeah, <laughs> no, no, in the mall. In one mall. Oh my god! Yeah, you got to make sure that at every like area, you can make sure that you get the hat. You know, like you don't have to walk too far. Um, and uh, and yeah, it's pretty amazing. Hopefully, most of the people who are shopping in the lid stores, one of the seven in the Mall of America this week, uh, are able to answer this question. By the way on Jeopardy better than the contestants. If you guys haven't heard this, I didn't see it till early this morning. I think this is last night's Jeopardy. And there was a uh, category, football was the category. This is actually, this is not a, like a, a made-up situation. This was last night's Jeopardy. Football is the category, and this is what it sounded like. Uh, football 200. Your choice, do or don't name this play in which the quarterback runs the ball and can choose to pitch it to another back. It's an option play. Ryan? (laughs) Uh, Football, 400. I can tell you guys are big football fans. (laughs) Tom Landry perfected the shotgun formation with this team. Dallas Cowboys. Uh, do you think we should go to commercial? <laughs> Ryan? Take it on to 600. Okay, by signaling for one of these, a returner can reel in a kick without fear of getting tackled. Fair catch. Two clues left, Ryan. 800. These penalties are simultaneous violations by the offense and defense that cancel each other out. And they are called offsetting penalties. Let's look at the $1,000 clue, just for the fun of it. (laughs) Jimmy? As Minneapolis's U.S. Bank Stadium prepares to host Super Bowl 52, I'm looking at the Ring of Honor with names from this defensive line that took the Vikings to four Super Bowls. If you guys ring in and get this one, I will die. (laughs) Who are the purple people eaters? We're going to take a break. That was Jeopardy yesterday. Uh, a lot of futility there. Uh, pretty entertaining. And uh, as we talk about the futility of football, Jason Martin, there's big reports that the Eagles are sick, 
right, that the Eagles in their hotel are passing a bug back and forth from one to another. Are you patient zero? Did you infect the entire Philadelphia Eagle? We were, we've been staying at the Philadelphia Eagle Hotel, and there's a, so much security. I mean, I'm not kidding about this. We came back a couple of nights ago from dinner. The, I was out with drink, uh, eat, eating and drinking with the Fox Sports Radio crew, and when we got back, there was a tank, basically, like an armored vehicle with guys with M16s blocking Uber from driving anywhere near the entrance to the hotel. And they had guys with, like, M16s or big guns, like, looking at the list to make sure you could go into the hotel. I mean, the security has been off the charts. What about yesterday with me trying to get to lunch? Yeah, you couldn't get out. Yeah, they basically quarantined me for 25 minutes. They just pushed me into a corner so that the team could move. Jay Ajayi walks past me three separate times because he keeps forgetting stuff in his hotel room. It's like, Jay, I don't know what it is that you keep leaving, but I want to get to lunch. And I couldn't do it. It literally took 30 minutes for them to let me off the second floor. There was a security guy in front of me the entire time, would not let me move. So it was cool to actually not be in that hotel last night, to be quite frank. Moving was, was a good thing. But, yeah, you know, I don't, I'm not saying I am patient zero. I'm also not saying I'm not patient zero. Like, there is a situation here, and the only thing that I can say is, this is exoneration, Holmes. That's what this is. This is exactly what happened, not to mention there's a good friend of ours in the media who got sick yesterday, was unable to make it to Radio Row at all. I made it for a segment, didn't want to leave, was forced away, handled my business, talked to another media person last night that said it made total sense for me not to answer the phone because when you feel like I felt, you're not thinking about your phone. So I had people defending me left and right, talking about how cogent I was the night before. I believe this is complete and utter vindication. I don't need your Jeopardy buzzer, Danny G. I am one million percent in the right here. You were hungover. I mean, I, I, the jury has already spoken, um, and uh, there's zero doubt whatsoever False. that you are just totally making Although, if the Eagles lose and they in any way blame this flu bug, I think you're patient zero. I'm going, to come, I'm going to circle back around and blame you if uh, for anybody out there who's betting on the Eagles if they don't perform well. It's J-Mart's fault. Uh, all right, moving into hour two. We're going to talk to Doug Flutie later in this hour. He's scheduled to join us here live on Radio Row. Um, and also, we're going to circle back around and discuss. I do think it's an interesting question. The city of Philadelphia will come undone if they win the title. Boston, I don't think they'll really react one way or the other. We'll talk about it next. Fox Sports Radio. Live from the Geico Outkick Studios, where 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Visit geico.com for a free rate quote as well. Super Bowl coverage brought to you by Black Rifle Coffee Company. Veteran-owned, veteran-roasted. Visit blackriflecoffee.com today and use the code FOXSPORTS20 for 20% off your first order. I am Clay Travis. Thank you for hanging with us uh, wherever you may be across the entire country. A couple different stories I want to get into here and make you think a little bit as we start hour two, or at least hopefully get your brain working. Man, I don't know what's going on. You might probably hear somebody screaming in the background there. That's kind of crazy. I don't know. Sometimes people just lose their mind on Radio Row. But um, Justin Timberlake is obviously performing at halftime. It's the first time he's performed at halftime since another Super Bowl the Patriots were in back in 2004. And Timberlake was asked, at least according to all of the people who have used it as a major storyline, 
whether or not he would allow his two-year-old son to one day play football. But the context, was he making a joke? Was he being serious? I'm going to let you listen to this audio and tell me what you think. Uh, he will never play football. Okay. Um, no, no. I, I mean, yeah, If it, it, it's kind of like that thing where, where my main objective is that he become a great person. And if he wants to get into the arts or sports, then yeah, I mean, I, I would I would fully support that. I think uh, you know I can um, hopefully offer him some advice on what to do and what not to do, and and uh, so yeah. But right now, I think uh, right now we're working on our manners. That's like it's uh, a big deal in our house right now. It's like one thing at a time. Okay, that's the full audio. I, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think he's saying, honestly, that his son won't be able to play football. You guys think that he was joking in L.A.? Yeah, Clay. Uh, we were arguing about this uh, an hour or so On ago. Ben's show. Yeah, yeah, it was a big argument because uh, Eddie Garcia – thought that JT was being dead on serious and the rest of us kind of think he was trying to tell a joke there being a little bit on the funny side and it didn't the joke did not land um that's how what I would took, the joke be well I took it as he was saying uh, you know he's a Timberlake he's going to get into the arts he, he's not going to be a football player I didn't take it as a CTE thing I, I, I to I, me I, I'm, I'm on Eddie's side so I actually I. I actually think that he's being because the joke, like, there's, there's why no, did he like, say, like, no, no, you know, what? it just, I don't know. It, it seems like well, he's I just think goofing. Well, probably, I think he answered the question honestly, and then he was like, uh-oh, like, this is going to be a big story that I, I'm playing the Super Bowl halftime act, and I just said that I don't want my son to play football one day, and I think he was like, oh, this is going to turn into a big story, and then he kind of backpedaled, and I think he just answered the question honestly. Um and maybe he'll come out and offer some form of clarity. I mean, first of all, I've got three boys. And answering what your young kid is going to do when he's two years old is kind of crazy to begin with, right? I mean, that's kind of a strange question. Um, but I, I think there are a lot of parents out there that have basically decided that they don't want their sons to play football. And it wouldn't stun me if Jessica Beal and, and Justin Timberlake, who are, I think, by the way, the more wealthy you are as a statistical measure – the less likely you are to let your kids play football. I mean, I think if you look at the way that that information is kind of trickling its way down through society, it's much like with boxing, right? The last people who box today are typically poor, disadvantaged youth who basically see boxing as their way out of that lifestyle. It's almost unheard of to find, like, if you go into a wealthy neighborhood now, it's not like people are like, hey, yeah, we're starting our kid in golf, we're starting our kid in tennis and swimming, and then the fourth sport that they're playing is boxing. Like, nobody is boxing anymore, and that's why I've said on this show, I think the biggest threat to the NFL, and and college football in general as well, but more so the NFL, is the quarterback position, because I think that's the first position that's going to dry up with less kids playing, because if you play quarterback at a high level, you probably have a big arm, and you could play baseball instead. Right. And I think a lot of moms out there are going to start as the CTE knowledge kind of trickles down and we start to see more and more uh, athletes with severe injuries. I think it's going to trickle down. And so Timberlake and Jessica Beale are actually, I think, emblematic, although obviously they're superstars. 
they're emblematic of wealthier parents that I think would be fairly well informed and also not need their kids to play football, right? If you have a, they're just playing sports for fun. I think he was being honest. So here's the full context. An entertainment reporter asked him before this if he wanted his young son to follow in his footsteps. Therefore, I guess, speaking about the arts. So Timberlake immediately deflects and begins to joke, and he says, quote, Speed runs in our family. I've been running routes, too. I just want to throw this out there to Belichick. If all your receivers go down, I'll be ready to go. Do they have injuries? I think they're all healthy, as if I don't want to get into the game. And then the question that we just played, asking whether or not the son would be playing football, he says, no, 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 the son won't play football. So I can see why the L.A. crew believes, or the L.A. crew minus Eddie Garcia, believes that it might have been in jest. I can understand that argument. It sounded to me more serious than joking, but the context I do think is important. I don't think it matters because, like, in the grand scheme of things, there are a lot of parents who are making the decision not to let their kids play football. I just think it's strange. The NFL, and I I think the way he backpedaled, it was like he suddenly realized, oh, man, I'm in this ridiculous e-news-type interview, and I've somehow just made news about what my two-year-old's going to do in his sports future. I got another question for you guys, though, about Timberlake, which is why I want to play that audio. It was about 14 years ago that Justin Timberlake made the decision to uh, pull the top off of Janet Jackson. And when he made that decision, um, it turned into a huge story. But the way that it turned into a huge story to me is fascinating. If you remember back in 2004, that story was covered as if it were like some major scandal for kids. Right? Like, oh my God, think of the children. Can you believe that Janet Jackson's nipple was just shown live on television? It was also in like a TiVo era where most people didn't have a DVR. Certainly it wasn't a social media era where it's going to be immediately played everywhere and be analyzed and dissected and immediately shared wildly. Here's my question for you guys. 14 years later, I don't think there's still the same level of oh my God, think of the children, right? Because I think pornography in general has become so much more prevalent that the idea that a kid wouldn't have seen a nipple is different now than it would have been in 2004. I know the internet was still popular in 2004, but I think with Snapchat, I think with Instagram, I think with the growth of social media in general and certainly the growth of pornography, everybody has become desensitized in some level to nudity. In other words, in 2004, we didn't have Kim Kardashians necessarily of the world who were famous all because of sex tapes, right? So I think nudity has become less of like a flashpoint for the culture. But I actually think Justin Timberlake would have been in worst position for doing the same thing if he did it today for this reason. I'm not sure Justin Timberlake survives in his career if he does this in a modern era of Harvey Weinstein and Me Too. This would turn into... For many people, I believe, evidence of racism and sexism. If a white guy pulls the top off of a black performer during, like, without her consent, does he get charged with a crime? Think about the fallout from Justin Timberlake doing the exact same thing with Janet Jackson in 2018 that he did in 2004. I think that this story goes, instead of it being like, oh my God, I can't believe the kids saw a boob, I think it turns into maybe Justin Timberlake getting charged with a crime. I think it certainly turns into 
evidence that the Me Too movement is like, look, men have been taking advantage of women forever. I think it turns into a racial thing. People are like, look, Justin Timberlake's a white guy. White men have taken advantage of minority women for generations. Justin Timberlake's just the latest one to do so. Now, Justin Timberlake's career was relatively unimpacted, and most of the focus went to Janet Jackson. I think Janet Jackson ends up being like a woman that many people say was sexually assaulted live on the stage. Am I crazy for having that idea? I want to open up the phone lines, 877-996-6369. Timberlake coming back 14 years later, if, he, if, he, if that hadn't happened in 04 and it happened today, what would the fallout be? I think we take things so much more serious now in this country that instead of people joking about it and then other people being offended because there was nudity on the Super Bowl and they weren't anticipating it, I think it turns into a major cultural flashpoint. And ESPN and all the woke centers out there are coming on. Jamel Hill would talk about this for like 476 consecutive days about how offensive it was, how unacceptable. Do you, am I crazy for thinking the way this story would be played is totally different in 2018 than it is in 2004? Maybe. I don't think I'd go with the race argument. And oh, the race argument would I really be don't because here's the thing. Jackson's representative came right out and said, look, and I'm, I pulled up the quote here. This is what he said at the time. Justin was supposed to pull away the rubber bustier to reveal a red lace bra. The garment collapsed and her breast was accidentally revealed, unquote. So it's not as if it, doesn't he matter. Did, it was consent. It doesn't matter. Sure it does. The, if they went race with this, it would be completely over the top. No, they, it, would, it would be immediately She consented. It was part of the performance. She apologized and said that it was part of the performance. Said it from the very beginning, but as a matter of fact. Before all of that statement comes out, on social media. They're immediately going to say he's racist? Because yes. he Really? Yes, 100%. It would turn into, I think that's insane. I don't uh, think that's true It would immediately turn into a racial incident. They would, on social media, they don't wait for anything to actually be explained. It would immediately turn into a sexual assault thing. I don't think they would issue that statement. Like, I think that it would turn into, because social media, everybody reacts before they know the whole story, right? That's the story of social media. That's, that thing would have happened and it would have dominated conversation long before I think there was an official statement made. I, I don't remember how long it took them to make a statement after that incident, but I bet they didn't say anything until almost after the game, maybe even after the game. Um, I, I think it would immediately take a life of its own, and I think it wouldn't be focused on nudity. Do you agree with me there, that people would be less bothered by the nudity now in modern society than they were 14 years ago? Yeah, no, I agree with that. I think that's a shame, but I do think that that's true. I just we disagree on the race argument. I just, what about I can't you guys? People do you, would do that. I think it would immediately turn into a major cultural flashpoint in the Me Too era, and they would be like, "This is a long legacy of what has happened with white men taking advantage of minority women." It would turn into a total mess. There'd be all these think pieces, and it wouldn't have very much to do with nudity at all. Am I crazy for believing that that would be a reflection of where we would go in today's modern media? Well, black people would defend Justin Timberlake. Um, I mean, Why? Every, because he's accepted. Once he started recording with Timbaland, he basically was doing a form of black music. He became music. Michael Jackson. Yeah, in for o- reals. In 04, it's hard for me to remember Justin Timberlake in 04, like what exactly his stature was. I mean, he was still on the upswing. That was right? the second album, right? Yeah. Because Rock Your Body was one of the songs he did on stage. I think that was the song because the lyric in the song says, I'm going to have you naked by, by the, the end, end of the song. song. And yeah. then he sets up the move. Which is why people didn't See, believe the Janet, response of. Janet would defend him too, Clay, so that would squash and it. And did. Yeah. 
I don't know if she would in this modern era. I think oh, that people would on. want she, her oh. to. I think I'm serious. People would want her to be a spokesperson. So she let him hang on the vine. She would it's not do all the time. She wouldn't do She's that. She's never to been him. that kind of person, though. I don't think. I think I think it would turn into an insane mess that would have nothing to do with the nudity. Now, the nudity I thought was funny in and of itself. To me, like if you are worried about your kid seeing a nipple, like get a life. I mean, I mean, your kid uh, is trying to. If you're if you got a boy. They're trying to see uh, nudity basically from the age of 10 on at any possibility. And now it's a lot easier to access than the Internet. So I don't think the nudity would actually be the story. I think all the think pieces and everything else would turn into this is a emblematic of our time. Like this is a reflection of women not controlling their own bodies. Like all of this stuff would blow up and it would be Justin Timberlake, I think, would be in serious jeopardy career-wise within – a couple of minutes of that happening and going viral on social media. I think it would turn ugly. No, I really do. And no not way. the ugly. 100%. I, it I mean, I, I believe, I do believe you that you would see that on social media. You would see a lot of it because Instanta- there's just... Instanta- instantaneously. Right. Every, there's 100 million people watching, and everybody feels the need to immediately react, obviously, on social media. And the woke sports contingent would immediately hijack this story there would be a lot of people who'd be like, "Ha ha, that's funny." There'd be a lot of people like, "All right, we got to see a boob on the sport, you know, on on the Super Bowl," and like not take it that seriously. And then there would be a ton of people who would immediately treat it as an insanely serious story. I, I, I agree really, with I, that, but I don't think anything would come of it because I don't see Janet Jackson hanging out to dry. And if she did, either. then it would become a mess because then I'm sure Justin Timberlake would sue her because she was she was in on it. I mean, sue did her? you? Did yeah? Totally for, on it. Did you did you see the, the? I mean, look at the nipple ring that she's wearing. I mean, she she knew. I mean, I feel I feel like she knew it was going to be exposed. You don't. You, that's like costume jewelry. That's not just any old nipple ring. It was like a blazing sun. It would be <laughs> a blazing wow. sun. Quite quite a description. <laughs> did you just break that's what down I thought when I saw ring? it too? As a matter of fact, I yeah, didn't see the I, ring. I felt like she knew it was going to be seen. And so she chose that. She chose that piece of. So jewelry. you're, but see, here's the deal. She would, the way it would play, is if she admitted that she was trying to get naked during the Super Bowl uh, performance, then she's in trouble, right? Then it turns into her being the target. I think it would be totally different. I think Timberlake would be judged as the problem here. And I real, I mean, am I crazy on this? We'll open up phone lines eight seven seven nine nine six six three six nine. Would people like what I think should happen? Okay, here's my theory in general. When this happened, I was like, this is not a big deal. Like, back in 04, I'm like, this shouldn't be a big deal. Um, But it turned into a massive deal in 04, and almost all of the attention was predicated on, oh, my God, think of the children. They just saw a boob on television. This is unacceptable. I think in 2018, nudity and pornography have become so much more mainstream in society that the number of people who would be like, oh, my God, I, my, my kid saw a boob. We can't live with anymore. They're, they're done for. I think that group would disappear, and I think it would turn into race, sex, a war over Justin Timberlake and what he represented. I'm telling you it would. You can think I'm crazy. 877-996-6369. As we go to break here live from Radio Row, I want to tell you, I think I have to tell you all about my friends at uh, – Pro Flowers. And let me tell you, it's going to be Valentine's Day very soon. A lot of you guys out there right now listening to me, you're like, uh-oh, 
you're right, it's February, and I haven't done anything. I haven't made a reservation. I haven't got anything set up. And if you haven't, then listen to me closely right now. What do you love the most about your Valentine? Probably a lot of things. But what do you hate the most about Valentine's? The possibility that you might blow it. And I'm telling you right now, I've got an exclusive Valentine's Day bouquet from Pro Flowers, the perfect way to make a big impression and make sure you don't blow it. Pro Flowers thought inside the box so you can too. Your flowers are boxed fresh and delivered fast so that they will last surprisingly longer, seven days at least. Choose a delivery date, and it's guaranteed making you look good. Right now, my listeners can send a bouquet to their Valentine and save 20% off of their purchase of $29 or more. I love Pro Flowers. You can choose to go classic with two dozen roses or choose from an assortment of flowers, plants, and even gourmet treats to make a big impression. Pro Flowers bouquets and plants are guaranteed to be delivered fresh and stay fresh for seven days. To get 20% off your purchase of $29 or more, go to proflowers.com today and use my code OUTKICK in the special codes box at checkout. That's proflowers.com and my code OUTKICK. Up next, your calls. Am I insane? Is J-Mart wrong as he always is? This is OutKick the Coverage on Fox Sports Radio. Car shopping can be confusing with terms like dealer price, list price, and invoice. True Car shows you what other people paid for the car you want so you can recognize a good price. When you're ready to buy a new or used car, visit True Car to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Talking about Justin Timberlake um, because he came out and gave his press conference about being the halftime performer yesterday. And there's a dispute about exactly whether he was being 100% honest or trying to make a joke. I think he was being honest when he said he didn't want his two-year-old to play football when he grew up. Interestingly, the uh, NBC and uh, Wall Street Journal have a poll out that is out in today's Wall Street Journal. And 48% of Americans don't want their kids to play football. That's a pretty high percentage, nearly half. Four years ago, when the question was asked, it was at 40%. So a pretty substantial number of variation. Maybe you think it's not as substantial as you would have otherwise guessed. A number of people who have changed their mind about whether or not they want their kids to play football. Uh, On top of the Justin Timberlake story about whether or not he would want his own son to play football, I also was thinking about the Justin Timberlake performance the last time he performed at the Super Bowl in 2004. We had Nipplegate. We had the Janet Jackson controversy. And I think the way that story was covered would be totally different in 2018 than it would have been in 2004. I think it would have turned into, in 2018, instead of primarily a debate about nudity and everybody kind of running around who was upset saying, think of the children, they saw a nipple, how will they ever recover? Uh, Not to mention the fact that all of us, most of us, many of us, used to suck on a nipple. But no, you can't see one. Your life's going to be over. The kids, think of the children. I don't think that that argument would have as much weight because I think we've become desensitized to a large extent to nudity in the modern era. We just don't react to it like we did even as recently as 2004. I think that race and gender would become paramount here and it would become a massive story. Am I crazy for that? There's dispute among the crew. Open up the phone lines for you. Brandon in Michigan, am I crazy for saying that it would turn into a massive story relating to race and gender between Justin Timberlake and Janet Jackson? No, you're not crazy at all. Um, I was actually discussing this with someone recently, and uh, he said the, the most true thing I've heard in a long time, that we as a nation are so desensitized now in 2018, but we are also the most sensitive 
It is amazing, isn't it, what we've become. That's a great point. We've become desensitized to certain things just because they're around us all the time, and I think pornography and nudity is one of those things. But I think we are the most hypersensitive culture maybe of all time when it comes to trying to avoid offending people, and I think this would turn into a huge race and gender buzzword in 2018 that wasn't in play in 2004. Everything is race and gender nowadays, unfortunately. Yeah. No, I agree with you. Thanks for the call, uh, Brandon. I think it would turn into a major racial and gender battle on the culture front, and we wouldn't even talk much about the nudity. Uh, let's go to Jeff in Indiana. What's up, Jeff? Hey, Clay. On this one, you're not crazy. Instantly, when her representatives come out and say that this was pre-planned, the Me Too gang, the liberal media would say, aha, that's what she had to capitulate to to get the gig. What another example of the captain. You're 100% Justin right. Timberlake That's 100% right. Thank you very much, Clay. That, Have a great day. That is a great point because the, the Me Too audience would say, this is how degraded we've allowed women in this country to be, that they consent to inappropriate treatment of their body. I, you know that's what would happen. doesn't matter what the statement would no, be. No, Clay, we agree, it with, it, we agree with you on that. The Me Too crowd yeah, would be out sexism, in full just arms. Just not racism. Yeah, but... Oh, the racism. The, the racism would be huge, That's a too. reach. Why Why would people go to race on because, that? Because, because, first of all, any time a white person and a black person are involved in any controversy, people immediately go to race. I think it's a ludicrous argument, right? I think that he would have done it if it were Madonna, and that's what I would come on the radio show and say. I would say, look, if this were, uh, if this were Usher and Madonna... I don't think that we would be talking about race because white guys are villains now. And people want, uh, in certain left-wing communities, they want white guys to be ultimate villains, to be rapacious, to be taking advantage of other people, particularly women and minorities, especially of color. It would be immediately a flashpoint of, look at the history of race in this country. We still have privileged white men doing whatever they want to minority women this is evidence of like this is like a modern day I, I guarantee you somebody would write this somebody would be like this is just thomas jefferson and sally hemmings modern day i'm telling you it would happen i know how the media works i'm telling you that was exactly what happened i know what i would say i would come on i'd be like this is ridiculous are people really making this about race and yes people would be making it about race i think mike in uh, jacksonville what's up mike I just about messed myself because you said exactly what I was going to say for Thomas Jefferson line. But, yeah, um, they would say, but right. Right. People would be like, the left wing would be like, the, the country hasn't yeah. changed. This is just like what uh, yeah. Thomas Jefferson did to Sally Hemings. Yeah, exactly, exactly right. And it's about the depth of that. So the one caller who mentioned that, it is, you know, making the women have to do things to get the gigs. Uh, the, the left would be up in arms. And then you toss the race in there. It would be extremely naive to think that race would not play a role in this when you have white guy and black girl. It's just going to happen. It's going to be all over the place. So you're you're and so, hit the nail on the head. And, and so what I'm thinking is, like, on some level, in 2004, it was all the nudity. In 2018, it would all be the race and the gender. And what I'm saying is, I actually would prefer all the people who were upset by the nudity over the people who were upset over the race and the gender talk. Like, if I had to choose who's going to be outraged... I'd rather, the because I'd be like, oh, at least the people who are upset by the nudity, whatever, eventually they're going to get over it. The race and the gender people are never going to get over it. Everything's just more evidence of how fundamentally awful America is. This is systemic racism. That'd be the argument. Greg and Phoenix, what's up? They're nuts. You've turned this into a racial thing, man? There's no way that they plan that together. 
it was a, it was a little skit between him and Janet, dude. So you think it's like Ebony and Ivory? You think it's like the black and white cookie? Same thing. You think I'm tearing America apart? You 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 got your hands in it. You're the you're the Joseph Goebbels of sports talk radio, dude. He's up the Joseph. Wow. So you think I'm a Nazi? Did he hang up? Did Greg and Phoenix hang up after calling me a Nazi? Yeah, he disconnected. I think that was the point, was okay. to say that and hang up. Oh, he was like, I got to call in and compare him to, to Goebbels, like Hitler's primary information uh, minister. Hmm. I haven't gotten that one before. Am I am I a Nazi? Intriguing argument. Matt in Virginia, what's up? Am I a Nazi, Matt? Uh, Matt's gone. Steve in Nashville. Steve in Nashville, you said? Yes. Steve in Nashville, am I a Nazi? Hey, what's up, Clay? Am I a Nazi, uh, Steve? No, you're not a Nazi. You don't but, listen to the show and think you know who the you know who this Clay Travis guy reminds me of Hitler and Goebbels. He seems like a Nazi information uh, prognosticator here. <laughs> no, but I do. I disagree with the uh, uh, with the whole race, the race thing. Oh, 100%, and, uh, it would one hundred percent go racial. Nah, because I and you, I would be coming on up, saying this is insane. Now we we grew up in a time about the nudity part. I mean, you know, I know J Mart as well. We grew up where. Um, you know, movies like Bachelor Party and Revenge of the Nerds. I mean, those 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 were our childhood movies coming up. So, I don't I don't really believe in the nudity part per se because, I mean, that's what we were watching when we were kids coming up. Now, oh, the you know, nudity. Nowadays, the nudity. Thanks for the call, by the way. The nudity in two thousand four was I thought ridiculous because if you had been on the internet, you were like, hey, you know, there's a lot of nudity out there. But I think by twenty eighteen. Nudity is all-encompassing. You know, you, for instance, I would make the argument that almost every person listening to us right now under the age of 30 has taken a naked photo of themselves. Like, what percentage of guys and girls under the age of 30 do you think have taken a naked photo of themselves in 2018? Go to L.A. first. Jason Martin, I don't think this is going to be uh, – this is not going to be your, your web of expertise, I don't think. But Danny G and Justin, what percentage of guys and girls do you think have taken a naked photo of at least one part of their body? Maybe not their face, but some part of their body in 2018. 99. <laughs> right? I mean, like an insanely high percentage, right, of people under 30 and people in their 20s even higher, right? Because you got the phone around all the time. You're making decisions. You're getting excited. Like all this stuff, Snapchat, um, you know, like all the ability to, to share pictures. All right, so you guys are saying an insanely high picture. So I think that means by 2018, the idea of seeing a nipple, like the mainstream of society, which is now people in their 20s, 30s, and to a large extent 40s, people are like, nudity just doesn't move the needle. It's like everybody is naked on the cloud. That's been my argument for a while, right? Like nobody knows how the cloud works, but the cloud, you know, where Amazon stores everything and Apple stores everything, it's just somehow floating above us. It's just a whole bunch of naked people up there. Basically, the entire country is naked somehow in the in the Ethernet, in the Internet, whatever the heck. I don't even know how the cloud works. I don't know what it means. It's a nice metaphor. But all of everybody's up there naked. So I don't think that nudity would impact us at all. Um, what's the phone situation? Do we have other people? Am I missing calls? Or are we good? Or should I go to – let's go to Justin in Cincinnati, then I'll go to Eddie Garcia here in a sec. What's up, Justin? How much, Clay? Good job today. I normally <clears throat> would disagree on that, but you're right. I mean, look at cable news. There's an entire – I mean, that's what they do for a living. They're going to spend that. Cottage and industry that people perpetually, perpetually upset based on race or gender. Yeah, it's going to be like the white guilt stuff, and, and it, it just would. I mean, that's what's sad and pathetic. But yeah, you're 100% I don't think right on any, that. Have a good day, man. I don't think there's. 
I don't think there's any doubt at all. I mean, it would turn into not a nudity issue, but a race and gender issue if Justin Timberlake did this in 2018. And the thing that disappoints me is I would actually I don't I thought that in two, 2004 I thought the idea that people were like, oh my God, think of the children. This is unbelievable. They just saw a nipple. How in the world will they continue with their lives? Um, I thought those people were all ridiculous. I think it's even more insane that people would be totally wrapped up in the race and gender element now. So we've actually gotten worse in terms of the way that we would respond to this quote-unquote scandal in the last 14 years, which disappoints me. Uh, let me bring in Eddie Garcia. What do you think, Eddie? Am I crazy for saying it would be a race or gender issue? Uh, unfortunately, no, you're not. Uh, I I wish it wasn't that way. Uh, yes. and I'd like to agree with, uh, with, with I wish the guys, a, a, but... Uh, I don't. <laughs> I wish a white man and a, and a black woman could just uh, get naked on the stage together and it wouldn't be about race. Exactly. Well put. Uh, let's get to a recap of uh, last <laughs> night in the NBA. I'm eloquent. Yeah. Pistons beat the Grizzlies 104-102. The debut of Blake Griffin went pretty well for Detroit. 24 points and 10 rebounds in getting the victory. Rockets go into San Antonio, beat the Spurs 102-91. Just the fifth home loss in 27 home games this year for the Spurs. Nuggets get a last-second shot, beat the Thunder 127-124. More on that in a second. Wizards over the Raptors 122-119. Timberwolves beat the Bucks 108-89. College basketball, we had five ranked teams in action, including number one Villanova, who cruised to a 98-78 win over Creighton. Wildcats are 21-1 on the season. Two uh, top 25 teams did lose. Number 16, Wichita State falls the Temple, 81-79 in overtime. Number 25, Arizona State loses at Washington, 68-64. And in the NFL, as expected, New England Patriots star tight end Rob Gronkowski cleared from, uh, cleared from the concussion protocol. He will play Sunday in the Super Bowl. And, Clay, it is time for our Geico play of the day. Jokic looks in. Cross-court pass over to Gary Harris for the game winner. Yeah! <laughs> G-Money knocked it down at the horn. And the Nuggets finally, finally win a game on the last shot. That was Gary Harris hitting the buzzer, beating three-pointer to beat the Thunder thanks to the Altitude Radio Network with our Geico play of the day. It's minus eight degrees outside. Absolutely brutal. But we are soldiering on here in the bold north. Third floor, Mall of America, crowd picking up. This is the busiest it's been this early, would you say? Oh, absolutely. So far. Uh, a lot of people maybe taking Fridays off in the Minnesota area. A lot of OutKick listeners already coming by, viewing. You'll have us here. You can come see us for the next uh, hour and 20 minutes as we continue the show. Final segment, hour two up next. Continue to take your calls, 877-996-6369. And uh, what are you saying to me? Doug Flutie. Doug Flutie. That's right. Doug Flutie is up next with us here on Fox Sports Radio. Wouldn't you love a bigger tax refund? TaxSlayer was recently rated number one for maximum refund, so you have more cash to spend on whatever the heck you want this tax season. Go out and slay it. Max your refund at TaxSlayer.com. Plus, for all of you here in Minneapolis, get your official Super Bowl gear at one of the seven lids or locker room by lid stores in Mall of America. Seven of them, including their largest store on the second floor of Macy's. Thanks to lids for outfitting our set with official footballs, helmets, and pennants. Check them out. Seven different versions. We're joined now by Doug Flutie. And Doug, I want to start with this. The last time the Bills were in the playoffs prior to this year, Last minute, you lose the starting job for the game against the Tennessee Titans that turns into the Music City Miracle. Would you have ever believed that it would take that long for the Bills to get back into the playoffs when you were at that game? Not at all. We went back-to-back seasons into the playoffs and uh, had a good, I thought, a very good thing going. We had an excellent team that season especially. Um, Couldn't imagine how things went for Buffalo over the years. And, you know, I thought, I always thought along the lines of, it was tough for them to get the big-time free agents to come to Buffalo because of the weather, because of that 
uh, scenario and people want to be in big cities and all that, that maybe that held them back a little bit but it was so much fun to see them win this year and, and get to the playoffs and that snow game is going to be all-time classic so some good things were happening it's them. wild to think back on that game now too because it's not very often that a quarterback doesn't get to start in the playoffs right i mean that's a I crazy that story. happened to me twice in my career twice in your so, I, so how does that get told to you that like you, hey by the way doug you're not starting in the playoffs well this well i know uh how did wade tell me they just called me into the office and said, were you, hey, we're going we're gonna to go with Rob. Rob had started the last game of the regular season. I, um, I actually sprained my knee, and Rob uh, played against Indianapolis in a meaningless game. Where and you already had your playoff We had our spot. They had their spot and all that. And he played well. And they had spent a lot of money on Rob to that point and wanted to see some benefits from it and started them in the playoff. Were you stunned when you got that in news? Uh, I was not. My wife thought I was crazy. Back in 88, I, I started maybe nine games or so for New England and got us back in the playoff hunt and took a, like a one-in-three team or something like that to a 10-win season. And uh, all of a sudden, the last game of the year, they decided to go back to Tony Eason. And we actually lose to Denver in Denver, who was like 2-14 and 14 that year and didn't make the playoffs. So uh, I was, I'm always skeptical and always kind of had that chip on my shoulder like they're trying to do something. And, and so I kind of saw it coming. But then again, I'm paranoid. Will you stay and watch the Patriots? I, obviously, you've got a long-term connection to the city of Boston. Um, is that the team kind of you feel most connected to in the NFL now? Yeah, it is. I've uh, been a Boston guy all my life. And my wife is and, and I grew up a uh, Patriot fan, so she's dressed in head-to-toe Patriot gear all week long, and it's not it's not subtle. Yes. Um, so, so this week we are staying for the game. Usually I, I get out of town, but the Patriots have been in it so often now. Um, she really wanted to go this this year, so uh, we're sticking around for the game. You ever think, what if I'd been born six <laughs> four? All I wanted to do was be six four to sign my contract. <laughs> right. Then when it came time to play, go back to being five ten because that, I know no different. You know, I really know no different. And you know, people tell you, well, how difficult is it? I don't know because I don't know what it's like to be six four and see the field. The one thing that gave me that feeling uh, was a few years after I was playing in the NFL or whatever, and I was back at my old high school. My old high school coach was still there, and the kids wanted me to take a snap or two, so I got under center and dropped back and threw a couple balls. And it was like, oh, my gosh. I can actually see the This whole field. is probably yeah. what it feels like to be 6'4". Yes. I can actually see. Um, so I really, I didn't know any different. I, and you, you take your read and deliver the ball. It didn't seem like a big deal to me. Do you root for the guys who are smaller? Like, I mean, Baker Mayfield's a guy coming out this year, kind of plays a little bit like you. I mean, not as fast, probably is not as mobile as you were, but still – a real fun guy to watch that you don't know what's going to happen. Obviously, Johnny Manziel is another guy that was compared to you a great deal. Do you find yourself rooting for those guys that kind of reflect in some way the way, the way I, that you play the I game? I do. I do. I, not just that that they're smaller, but the guys that have taken the tough route to get there. It's not handed to them on a silver platter. They weren't the first pick in the NFL draft and given 10 opportunities. When you're six foot or around there or under or whatever it is, you better prove you can play right away because if you, if you don't succeed right away, you're going to be gone. The other guys get four or five years to prove themselves and bounce from team to team and still get a big contract and all that. Tim Dwight and I used to say it all the time. Tim was a small kick return wide receiver guy out of Iowa. Um, we had to prove every day that we belong. Those guys have to prove they don't belong. 
And so a guy like Baker Mayfield, who was a walk-on and transferred and fought to get an opportunity, yeah, I root for guys like that all the time. Drew Brees, Drew, Drew going through the shoulder injury. You know, he was a first-round draft. But Drew had a shoulder injury. San Diego gave up on him. And it wasn't handed to him. You know, he had to go earn it. I, I love Drew for that. Well, not for that, but the way he has approached it and the career he's had. Tom Brady versus Michael Jordan has been a big debate we've had. We're talking with Doug Flutie right now, live on Radio Row, third floor Mall of America. Which do you think is more impressive? Let's say Brady goes out and wins his sixth Super Bowl. Jordan obviously won six titles in eight yeah. years with the Bulls. I think they're the, both the best team athlete, single player on a team athlete in the last 40 years. Who would you go with, Brady or would you oh, go with Jordan? Gosh. I mean, Jordan was just such a phenomenal athlete. And it, I, I don't know that I can say. I mean, I'm, a, I'm, I'm much closer with Tom, so I'd say Tom because I'm, I'm partial. But um, in, in the NBA, one player can dominate. Yes. Yeah, one player can dominate. In the NFL, you can have the greatest quarterback in the world, and if you don't have a team around him, he looks terrible. Look at Steve Young in the beginning of his career in Tampa. Uh, you know, go way back to um, – Peyton and Eli's dad, Archie Manning. It was great in New you know, Orleans, but they were Unbelievable. Yes. Played his tail off for years and never won anything. So in football, it's the one sport where you need a, you need a full cast of characters to get the job done. So it's complete. It's apples and oranges. Well, who are you here with? I'm with, I'm with Epson, and I've been with Epson for quite a while now, and I'm a small business owner, and we talk about their printers and things you can do in-house that – that make your business more efficient, and their, their printing quality is, is second to none. Uh, you can do your own printing signage and postage within in-house and save a lot of money, and that's what you look for as a small business owner. Uh, the number one thing I'd like to talk about with them is their EcoTank system, which can last up to two years without having to change cartridges. You know, everybody goes over to a cartridge, and it's, you're, you're out of ink, and all of a sudden they, you back away and let somebody else change it. So that's usually the headache in the office. Appreciate the time, my man. Thanks for joining us. Appreciate Good luck it. to the Patriots. and Because ho- you. we want your wife to be happy, right? Yeah, always. <laughs> yeah, always. Right. Uh, that is uh, Doug Flutie. I am Clay Travis. And we are live, Radio Row, third floor, Mall of America. Final hour of the show coming up next. Uh, appreciate all of you who've come by to say hi. Appreciate all the guests come by that have been uh, outstanding. And uh, we're going to dive back in. Who's, who are we going to pick? Uh, Patriots or Eagles? Who is going to win Super Bowl 52? Also, we're going to talk with Ron Jaworski. Who does he think is the best available quarterback coming out? Also, does he believe that Brady is the greatest of all time without question to ever play the quarterback position? We'll talk about all that with Jaws and We'll take your calls, 877-996-6369. This is Outkick the Coverage on Fox Sports Radio. Live from the Geico Outkick Studios, where 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Visit geico.com for a free rate quote as well. This show brought to you as well as much of Fox Sports Radio this week by Black Rifle Coffee Company. They're veteran-owned, veteran-roasted. Visit blackriflecoffee.com today and use the code FOXSPORTS20 for 20% off your first order. All of that as we get ready for what has been 14 hours so far live on Radio Row. We're now entering the 15th hour live on Radio Row. Lots of people coming by. If you haven't been here yet and you are listening on podcast or you're in the Minneapolis area, area, you're coming in potentially from Philly or from Boston to get ready for the Super Bowl, I'm telling you, especially if you've got kids, 
This is a cool venue to come out here. We're right in the food court on the third floor of the Mall of America. You can walk around. You can check out everything. It's going to be an absolute frenzy today. Lots of quarterbacks on Radio Row. Lots of guests coming for Doug Gottlieb, JT the Brick later on the day, Colin Cowherd, everybody who's going to be a part of Fox Sports Radio here. We have had and have, I think, the best set for anybody in radio right here, this massive kind of structure that we've got built around us. And it has been a uh, lot of fun. So uh, notwithstanding the fact that it is minus 8 degrees outside, the coldest day so far of the Minnesota Super Bowl, um, it has been a lot of fun for sure. Now, one of the things I'm kind of curious about as we come up on the final hour of our Super Bowl coverage, when you look at this game, to me one of the fascinating angles, we started off talking about, and there's been a lot of discussion about Brady versus Foles, the city of Philadelphia here. The city of Philadelphia, and we'll talk with uh, Ron Jaworski about this in the next segment. He's going to schedule to stop by and join us. Jaws is very well connected with the city of Philadelphia. What would it mean to the city of Philadelphia to win a Super Bowl? I mean, think about the geography of Philadelphia. You have Washington, D.C., which has had a great deal of success with the Redskins over the years, even though in the Dan Snyder era they haven't been very good. You've got the Baltimore Ravens that have won a couple of different Super Bowls, even though the Baltimore Ravens franchise is pretty young. You've got, obviously, New York, which has just won titles galore over the years, but even recently the Giants winning a couple of championships to steal them away from Tom Brady. You have Boston, which is just going for its sixth Super Bowl in eight trips in this Brady-Belichick dynasty. Kind of the redheaded stepchild of the East Coast sports universe is the city of Philadelphia. It's not just that they're not winning. It's that if you consider them in the context of all their neighboring cities, which is how frequently teams judge themselves, the Redskins have won multiple Super Bowls. The Ravens have won multiple Super Bowls. The Patriots have obviously won a ton. And Giants have won multiple Super Bowls. And then left out there kind of floating around without anything to stand up and kind of identify it, you got the city of Philadelphia. And people say, why are Eagles fans so mean? A lot of times it's not just how is your team doing, it's how is your team doing relative to the other teams that are nearby. And if you take that into context, man, the Eagles are in rough shape. No wonder they're so angry. They play at the vet, their team never wins, they haven't won a Super Bowl in the modern Super Bowl era. And so it's not surprising at all that they would be upset, but also on top of that, that everybody who surrounds them geographically in that East Coast corridor, even cities like Baltimore have won multiple championships. For Philadelphia, I think this would be a massive change. Now look, Boston used to have that chip on its shoulder. Oh, the Red Sox never win. Oh, the Patriots are awful. And the Celtics obviously won a lot over the years, but if you were just looking at it from the perspective of baseball and football, the city of Boston never won. And then what happens? The Red Sox break through. The Patriots become a dynasty. I think this could be huge for Philadelphia and the way the city sees itself as a sporting community because there haven't been – it's been a while, right? I was asking Jason Martin to look this up. When's the last time a city won its first Super Bowl and they've had a drought like this? Now, I understand you guys out in Buffalo, you're like, hey, don't forget about us. We've still never won a Super Bowl. I mean, there are lots of cities that haven't won a Super Bowl, but to be around – and be as vibrant and kind of in the middle of things as the Eagles have been over the years, they've been close and never been able to close the deal. 
Just some of the things that I've seen that you could point out would be the Redskins, 26 years since they beat the Bills in 91. That's a pretty but long they, one but there. They had, but the Redskins had a dominant run over the years. Like, they were really good in the 80s. They were good, I think, in the 70s. Like, the Redskins traditionally have been a pretty winning pro- – I mean, how many Super Bowls do they have? Three? Yes, that's right. Uh, so you've got them. Obviously, the Cowboys are storied. It's been 20 years since the 95 win over the Steelers. You've got the Buccaneers – Obviously, who beat the Oakland Raiders I mean, with John Gruden, and that was a fifth. They've been 15 seasons since, and so there's yeah. There but those are, are short. Those are short lengths of time compared to the Eagles. Yeah, well, I, I'm, I'm saying that their futility is not necessarily quantifiable against others, unless you want to talk about the futility of like the Lions, where it's been 60 years <laughs> since 1957. No, nobody is disputing that the Lions and their fan base has long been tortured and star-crossed. There's no doubt about it, but. I think, and it's certainly for the Lions to be that close to Green Bay where you have all that success and be in the same division with the Bears where obviously there's been a lot of success. And frankly, you can say the same thing about the Vikings. Um, where Chiefs they, pretty bad. They haven't done very well. The Chiefs have been bad. 48 years since they've been in a Super Bowl. 49 for the Jets, 45 for the Browns, 41, unfortunately, for the host city this year, the Minnesota Vikings. It's been a long time for the Minnesota Vikings, and they would have loved to be there two generations effectively. But I think when you start to break it down, it's not just that the Eagles haven't won. It's that everybody that you identify yourself with is so incredibly successful. I mean, again, Baltimore's won two freaking Super Bowls. The Giants have won at least three in the last you know 35 years. The uh, Certainly, you start to run through the list of of everybody that surrounds them in the Patriots dynasty. I just think this would be so huge for the overall psyche of the city of Philadelphia to finally get a Super Bowl and break through and have the opportunity to call themselves Super Bowl champions, the likes of which we haven't really seen in a long time. Now, would I would I certainly like to see long-suffering Chiefs fans at some point win a Super Bowl? Yes. Would I like to see Buffalo's uh, drought, certainly, that was made all the worse by going to four straight and losing four straight? end as well yes but I think when you look at the city of Philadelphia on the east coast surrounded by champions like it is I think it's particularly grating for that city and I think that's why the chip on its shoulder the kind of jerk atmosphere that's created by the Eagles exists yeah there are fans that believe they should have won something by now and I think that it would be huge if they were able to get it done not just because they get it done but they get to exercise the demons of the quarterback that beat them the first time around most of these fans remember the game with T.O. and Donovan McNabb and throwing up on the field, losing to Tom Brady again by four points. So they have a chance to beat potentially the greatest what, quarterback of all time in a rematch, basically, of something that they probably still haven't gotten over from 11 or 12 years ago. What did you say they need to do to their demons? Exercise them. Okay. It sounds like you're saying exercise, which is actually a really funny image. Like you oh, you mean like on a yeah. treadmill? Yeah, no, you gotta exorcise work your, you the demons. Just, you got to yes. just work your demons out and yeah. make Elliptical sure that they're, yeah, they're, better, they're better shaped than they otherwise are. Yeah, Peloton. Um, there's no doubt. What about you guys in LA? Um, are you with me here that the Eagles, when you look at their history of futility, it's not just that the Eagles are losing, it's that everybody around them is winning and not just winning, winning at a high level. I mean, that's kind of crazy when you think about the East Coast football success. Even the freaking Ravens have got a couple of Super Bowl titles. Redskins have had a dominant years in the 80s, the 90s, the 70s. I mean, they were really a big-time franchise early in the, in the Super Bowl era. And then the Patriots now are a dynasty, and left behind has been the Eagles and their fans. Yeah, your money on that. And then now they're in the Super Bowl and without Carson Wentz, who yeah. 
<laughs> it's crazy. Perpetually right. star-crossed. I mean, that's what the Eagles fans have to be thinking is, even when we finally get a guy who's having an MVP season, we've got a chance to win a championship, and everything falls apart with Carson Wentz. And now, much like with the Giants just up the road a little bit in New York, also having the opportunity to bring in a guy who's a backup like he was back in the day to find a way to find a way to win that championship. Poor Buffalo fans, that 47-yard Scott Norwood field goal sailed. I don't even remember if it was wide left was or left. right. Left? Yeah, it's wide left. So uh, that's what we're trying to uh, to see whether or not that can happen. If, uh, I mean, if Eagles Carson had the best Wentz, team. Yeah, if he had polished off an MVP season, would the Eagles be favored to win the Super Bowl right uh, I now? think they would because they have, they, they have by far the better roster. They just don't have Tom Brady or Bill Belichick. But it yeah, looks like Peterson's be. showing a lot. But if you look at that roster and the skill positions for Philadelphia, especially after they picked up Ajayi and that defense is absolutely outrageous, I don't think it would even be close. I think they would definitely be at least a field goal favorite in this I game. I think it's about a two-and-a-half-point favorite probably. And I don't think the, the Patriots were huge underdogs the first year they beat the Rams. I don't think since then the Patriots – I think the Patriots have been favored in the other seven Super Bowls they've been in. I yeah, don't I think, think they've ever right. been an underdog I think otherwise. Right. I think they were like a two-touchdown underdog against the uh, against the Rams, which we thought was going to be a dynasty yes. team, the greatest show on turf back in the day. And the Rams were looking to win uh, whatever it was, their second or third, second title in like three years or whatever the heck it was with Kurt Warner and everybody talented there, Mike Martz's offense. Um, and other, by the way, this also ties in with the city of Philadelphia's feeling of, I think if you were on the East Coast, you know what I'm talking about. If you consider the four big cities on the East Coast, I think fairly. Baltimore is kind of a, almost, and I hate to say this for Baltimore people, but you're almost like a suburb of D.C. now. Like, you're your own city, but it's not that much different than D.C. So you think about it from people who live on the East Coast. There's Washington, there's Philly, there is New York, and there is Boston. The fourth-ranked city there by just about everybody is Philadelphia. It's the city most people would say, yeah, that's number four on my list of where I want to live. Now, I've spent a decent amount of time in Philly. It's a good place. But I think everybody on the East Coast knows that that's the vibe, right? you got four places you can live, Washington, New York, Boston, and Philly is number four. You can argue about the top three and where people would choose to live, but almost everybody would put Philly in that four spot. And I think this ties in with their football team and with the culture of the city and the overall feeling of the fan base and this would be a big deal. Okay, we're going to talk about this with Ron Jaworski. Does he think that Philadelphia can finally exorcise their demons, or are they going to continue to exercise as they run through their mind, unable to stop? We will discuss next. I'm Clay Travis. This is Outkate the Coverage on Fox Sports Radio. Car shopping can be confusing with terms like dealer price, list price, and invoice. True Car shows you what other people paid for the car you want so you can recognize a good price. When you're ready to buy a new or used car, visit True Car to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. A confident show, especially when we have a guest like Ron Jaworski on a Friday. For you, how nervous do you think you're going to be a kick? How much do you root for the Eagles now um, compared to, say, like 20 years ago? Does it matter more to you as you get older and like you recognize maybe – these Super Bowl appearances don't happen that often. Yeah. I'm just kind of curious inside of your head how it feels. Yeah, Travis, first of all, great to be with you. And and the further I'm removed as a player and the Eagles haven't won a Super Bowl, the more I pull for the right. team. And I talked to a lot of my former teammates, and we're living vicariously through this group right now. 
It was our 80 team that goes to the Super Bowl and lost. The 2004 team of the Eagles goes to the Super Bowl and loses to the Patriots. Here we are again. Super Bowl 52, the Eagles have a chance. So clearly, as a former Eagle player, you know, you want to see him get that win in the Super Bowl. But I'll be honest with you, I, I root for the Rams who I played for, uh, for the Dolphins and the Chiefs. If they were in, I'd be pulling for the, those people that gave me a paycheck. What would winning the Super Bowl mean to the city of Philadelphia? I've lived in Philadelphia now since 1977, and they're very passionate fans in all sports. Yeah, the Phillies, the Flyers, the Sixers, the Seoul, our Arena Football League team in town. But there's nothing like the Eagle fans. And, and I think they are starving for that championship so bad, it will probably double whatever parade the Phillies, the Flyers, the Sixers have had when they won championships. It's, it's a football town. And when you're a football town, people live and die by what the Eagles do on Sunday. When, when I came from Los Angeles to Philadelphia, Jim Murray was our general manager. And I remember the first meeting we'd had, you know, they were trying to recruit me to, to come to Philly. He said, you'll know if the Eagles won or lost on Monday if you didn't know the score of the game on Sunday because the fans will let you know. If they won, you'll see the little getty up in the step. They're bouncing around. If they lost, everyone walks around downtown like this. So, and it's true. It's true. What Jim said in 1977 holds true today. When Carson Wentz got injured, some people immediately said the season is over. Other people said there's still the possibility that maybe we could have a Jeff Hostetler-type run. Which one were you? Well, go back and check the tape, and I was on record as saying a Jeff Hostetler-type run. I'm a huge Nick Foles fan. As you know, I'm a, a quarterback wonk. You know, I look at all the tapes of all the throws. I, I went back and looked at my notes from Nick Foles coming out of Arizona, the notes I'd had, the coaches I'd spoken to, uh, the coaches that watched his pro day. And then I had him in Philadelphia as a, as a guy, as a quarterback in the Eagle team. A 27-touchdown, two-interception year in 2013. This guy just didn't lose all that talent. He went into the abyss in St. Louis where they didn't coach him properly, didn't have the right weapons around him. So once he got good coaching with Doug Peterson and Frank Reich and John Filippo, oh, there's Nick with the talent. But what he needed, and this I knew all along, why I knew it was going to take a little bit of time, he's a rep player. And there are some quarterbacks, uh, Dan Marino could walk out of the locker room and start slinging darts. Nick Foles needs to throw about 100 balls before he becomes accurate and precise, and that pinpoint actually shows up play in and play out. It took him some time. The NFL collective bargaining agreement stinks. Players can't work anymore. They can't, you know, you don't have enough time in practice. It's got to be changed or the play is going to decline. Once Nick got to be the first-string quarterback, now he's working with the first-string guys. He's getting the reps, getting the timing down. And last, the last two games, the divisional playoff game against Atlanta and his game in the championship game against Minnesota, were superb football games from a quarterback perspective. He, I mean, it was a clean of the game as, as, you know, you can see from Tom Brady week in and week out. So this sets up to be a very, very good Super Bowl. You talked about quarterback guru. You like to look at them. You like to watch them. What did you think about the decision of the Washington Redskins to bring in Alex Smith? Did that surprise you? No, not at all. I, I, you know, neither team could make the decision that this was their guy. And you go all in if you think it's your guy. Neither uh, Kansas City and Washington clearly has not over the last couple of years given those, those one-year contracts. So I just think they felt it was time to move on. You got Patrick Mahomes in Kansas City. Now you can have Alex Smith. And, and both are solid, rock-solid quarterbacks. But they haven't gotten over that hump. And they, they, they both have flaws in their game. I, I think the inaccuracy of, of Kirk Cousins occasionally really hurts him from being elevated to what I call a first-tier quarterback. Alex Smith plays tremendous regular season games for whatever reason he plays really fast and i could validate this with tape if i had it here 
nasty plays late in games in the fourth quarter. you got to calm down let the game come to you. So there are flaws in their game that each of their coaching staff knows about, and I think they, un- they really understood at this time it's time to move on. If you were advising Kirk Cousins right now, all of the teams out there that are going to be interested in him, and there might be as many as 10, there might be even a little bit more, where do you think would be the best fit for him? <sighs> Not money. Yeah. Just fit. Yeah, I mean, the money, and I know I, money factors in. He's going to make a lot mo- of money The everywhere. money factors in, but when I value, I, I don't even look. It's irrelevant yes. to me. Unless they were paying me, I would. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. I, I'd be concerned about that, but they're not. Um, I, I really, you know, I, I always like to see how it's going to play out. Let, let, let the Super Bowl end. I'm not sure if we'll wait till the draft is over. He finds a spot. You'd like to get it short up earlier than that. But if you don't have that position, short up. You're never going to be a Super Bowl contender. You, what I always say, what gives you your best percentage chance of being a world champion? It's having a world championship quarterback. And, and that's where it starts. You've got to find that guy. Do you think Kirk Cousins is a world championship quarterback? You know, uh, it's to be proven, to be determined. I, I can't say he is uh, at this point. There's nothing to say he can't be. But I'd like to see Kirk Cousins in a position where he's loved. Where the team says, hey, you're, you're our, our guy. guy. You're our guy. Let's go. You got this five-year deal. We're going to build our team around you. You're our Carson Wentz. Let's get it going. Though, yeah, by the way, the Carson Wentz, the, the move the Eagles made through the season with Jay Ajayi, unbelievable moves in the offseason with Torrey Smith. You've know, you got to surround your quarterback with talent. Alshon Jeffrey, you got to surround your quarterback with talent. Build around that position. So where would you tell him to go? You dodged the question. Yeah, where I did. do you think the best fit? I, I, how about this? Buffalo. Really? How about Buffalo? Because they're not necessarily committed to Tyrod Taylor. They're not. Ty- Tyrod's not their guy. And so if they got Kirk Cousins, they've got a talented team around him. Right. They made the playoffs they, with Tyrod Taylor. They could theoretically make a run, in your opinion, and I think that's fair with Kirk Cousins. And they, have, they have a talented football team. You know, Kirk Cousins has played outdoors. You know, he's been in Washington. He's not a dome quarterback. We all love to play it in domes. You know, yes. perfect weather all the time. With Buffalo, you know what it's going to be. You know, it's, it's not going to be beautiful, 75 and sunny every week. It's just kind of that. And Buffalo, there's a mentality up there which I think would fit Kirk Cousins. You know, and, and I know Sean very well and the type of team he's trying to build. And I think he would fit into that culture in Buffalo as well. So that, it, I, my knee-jerk reaction would be Buffalo would be a good landing spot for We're Kirk talking Cousins. to Ron Jaworski here, uh, breaking down the quarterback position in the NFL Friday before the Super Bowl. Six guys potentially first-round picks coming into this year's NFL draft. Now, I don't know how many of them you've gotten to watch a great deal yet, uh, but obviously there's the expectation that many of them are going to go at the top, and the top three seem to be in some order, at least the three that are talked about for the Browns, Josh Allen from Wyoming. Um, certainly you look at, uh, at the two guys out of L.A., Josh Rosen and then Sam Darnold. Of those three guys, is there one that you well, particularly wouldn't, like? You, wouldn't you throw Baker in there? Baker's yeah. in the top six, maybe. I don't. Yeah. I think it would be a surprise yeah. if the Browns yeah. took it. And, and, and it would be premature of me to make that projection right now. Um, you know, I've watched games on TV like we all do, but yes. until I really start studying their system, their accuracy, the type of offense they played in, have they made NFL-style throws at the collegiate level on a consistent basis? I, I don't want to pick a guy. How do now. you study it? Like when you start to watch the film, where do you get your film from? How much time do you well, spend? I'm, I'm looking my at those office guys? at NFL Film, so yeah. I, I've got access. You to, pull all yeah, the guys. Yeah, I, yeah, I've got access. So to, how much would you, for a guy like a, 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 we talked about there? How much time would you watch? Would you watch? How far back do you go? Do you just watch the most recent year? Like oh no, do you, no, uh, to definitely go back uh, to and, see and, the projection. And, 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 and I have the, access to cut ups as well. In other words, you can take uh, a Baker Mayfield and go back three years. And say, okay, let's start. This is what the what the teams. Do. Yes, they'll just put all his throws together. Those throws are twenty yards, ten yards, five yards. 
it's, they'll break it down. So when it's given to the scouting department, they'll just they won't look at a whole game. They'll, they'll have look every at eighteen play throws. Had. Yeah, yes. they'll look like eighteen throws, the left sideline, nineteen to the right, so whatever the case would be. It'll, it'll be broken down so you're not wasting a lot of time. Right. And, and, and quite honestly, I'll tell you, there were guys, um, and I won't give give their names. I would look at a half. And I, I say they're no not chance. no chance. Yeah, I, I'm, maybe that's being cruel, but that's just my gut feeling. And then yes. there are some guys, you know, that that jump out of me. And I mean, say I'm going to look at this guy at a Division two school. I go, ooh, I got to get more tape. I got I to look at more. Who, so, who is the, I, I always like to ask guys who look at quarterbacks like this. Who's the guy that you were totally wrong on in a good way, and a guy that you think like, man, I totally nailed. Like, are there guys that you broke down and you think, man, I blew it on that one. I was wrong. He ended up much better. And a guy that you thought was going to be really good that ended up much worse because that happens to everybody. Yeah, I mean the guy that I absolutely nailed was Carson Wentz. Yeah, I, I, I when you I, loved Carson Wentz. I loved Carson him. Wentz, and, and again, I always say, if you don't believe me, look at the tape when I was out at his pro day and the, yeah. and my my post report back on, on ESPN of what I thought of Carson Wentz. I'd spent a lot of time studying him. Uh, I had spoken to all the coaches. He had Randy Hedberg on that coaching staff, who was an NFL quarterback, so he had NFL passing concepts, line protection calls. By the way, you said. What do you look at? Look at a guy that can elevate his game in the cerebral part as well. Some of these guys have incredible physical talent, and they don't know how to read a coverage. They can't slide a protection. They can't, right. they can't help every, their team out at the line of scrimmage. So that's a major component now when you evaluate a quarterback, not just a great arm or great feet. Is he smart? What's between his ears? So that becomes important. Now, you asked me one that I missed on, Achilles Smith. I'm telling you, I love the Keely Smith. I yeah. did. And, and I missed on him. Right? Cause I, I thought, when I watched the tape, I thought after the Bengals got him, this guy was going to be a heck of a quarterback. And uh, that's one that let me down. I missed on that one. Tell us who you're here with. Uh, Humana. Uh, actually, the Wounded Warrior amputee football team. Uh, we played last night. How'd it go? Uh, well, they won. Uh, the, yeah, <laughs> yeah. The, the, the amputee uh, football team won. And, and it's an inspiring game. I've been involved with these about five or six times now at the Super Bowl. And when you you know we get the, I, I put together the NFL alumni guys we had you know we had Rich Gannon and you know uh, Sage Rosenfels and our quarterbacks and we had you know we had really talented guys we lost yeah but, but this, to put to put our NFL alumni guys against the amputee wounded warriors and play in that game it's inspiring and Humana promotes the game they sponsor the game it it was packed over at Concordia University but just. For us to do what we do here and sit and talk, what all these people are doing out here because of what those young men and women have sacrificed is absolutely incredible. Incredible. And I'm going to do more of those. And I was just talking to guys uh, across the way, former NFL players, because I usually get 10 or 12 guys to play against the Wounded Warriors. And, and it's just an inspiring game. And you realize how lucky we are to have people like this defending us. Good luck to the Eagles. Ron Jaworski, appreciate the time. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank Great you. to be with you. Thank you. I'm Clay Travis. This is Outkick the Coverage. Let's go to break right now and hear what Eddie Garcia has to say. All right, Clay, let's check in on last night's action in the NBA. Five games on the schedule highlighted by Blake Griffin's debut in Detroit. Coming over from that trade for the Clippers, he had 24 points and 10 rebounds, helping the Pistons beat the Grizzlies 104-102. Rockets over the Spurs 102-91. San Antonio suffering just its fifth home loss in 27 games this season. Nuggets edge the Thunder 127-124 on Gary Harris's three-pointer at the buzzer. Wizards over the Raptors 122-119, and the Timberwolves beat the Bucks 108-89. In college basketball, we had five ranked teams in action, including number one Villanova, who cruised to a 98-78 win over Creighton. Wildcats are 21-1 now on the season. There were two upsets. Number 16, Wichita State, lost to Temple 81-79 in overtime. Number 25, Arizona State, lost.
lost to Washington 68-64. In the NFL, as expected, New England Patriots star tight end Rob Gronkowski has been cleared from the concussion protocol and will play in Sunday's Super Bowl. This report's brought to you by True Car. Online car shopping can be confusing, but not anymore. With True Price from True Car, now you can know the exact price you'll pay for your next car. So visit True Car and enjoy a more confident car buying experience. And Clay, back to the NBA real quick. We told you about the Nuggets beating the Thunder on a last-second three-pointer. Well, after that shot was made, Russell Westbrook of Oklahoma City, the reigning league MVP, shoved a fan who ran onto the court to kind of get in his face. Uh, the league says it is reviewing the incident. Now, the fan didn't make contact with Westbrook, uh, but uh, Westbrook, again, having contact with a fan who ran on the court. Yeah, we talked about that a little bit in the open. I mean, I just I don't see it as that big of a story in the grand scheme of things. We're coming to you live from the Geico Outkick Studios, where it's easy to save 15% or more on car insurance with Geico. Go to geico.com or call 800-947-AUTO. The only hard part, figuring out which way is easier. I think we have Todd McShay coming up. Should I go to break right now? He'll be with us when we come back on the, on the uh, opposite side here. I'm Clay Travis. I'll kick the coverage up next. Todd McShay on Fox Sports Radio. Montel Jordan bringing us back. Final segment of Super Bowl week. Nearly 15 hours in the books. None of us have gotten fired, although I might fire J-Mart before all is said and done because he thought, I'll ask Todd McShay this, see whether he knows. He went to Richmond. He's a smart guy. Car shopping can be confusing with terms like dealer price, list price, and invoice. True Car shows you what other people paid for the car you want so you can recognize a good price. When you're ready to buy a new or used car, visit True Car to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Todd McShay with us now. All right, I, mean, I got a quiz for you here. Uh-oh. My producer. Yep. Um, came on and he was talking about how the city of Philadelphia is trying to exercise its dreaming, demons. As in, like, I'm going to get on the elliptical and I'm going to exercise. Is that the correct use of the term there? No. It's... Exorcism, right? Yes. Right. Exercise. Okay. Now, this guy I was right worried. here. I was worried. I, I, no, no, I was on the, you're on the spot. But this guy right here, he prides himself on his grammar. Like, he's always correcting people when they make errors. And so, like, he I wanted heard him it. to jog it off. Yeah, it's been a, it's been yes, he wanted him to jog it off. It's been a rough w- couple of weeks for him. Um, he, he had Super to tap Bowl out. Weeks rough. I mean, that can that can happen to anybody. Nights, but this mornings. is like, I mean, he's almost forty, and this is something he's believed his whole life. Like, that's a tough position to get in. Like, you just dunked on him. You're an NFL analyst, and he is a producer who fancies himself a grammarian. Right. And you just came in and just dunked on him. Sorry, bud. <laughs> it's the first time we've met, too. Sorry. Yeah, I know. Uh, I thought it. I thought. Um, What's the phrase? I just recently learned it, and I'm 40. Yeah. Um, what is it? Uh, I used to think it was year, not ear. Uh, what's the phrase? Somebody will know. We'll come, we'll come up with it later. Yeah. We're talking topic. That, that went well. It's gonna, <laughs> you're going to have a long day of radio. How many shows are you doing today? Do you know? They haven't told me, I think, on purpose. Three hours, it's 15 minutes, so do that math. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's pretty crazy. So... I appreciate you coming on with us, and, and I want to dive right into it because uh, you spend so much time watching these guys on tape. Baker Mayfield's actually going to be on Radio Row today. I would say he's probably of the top draft picks, the guys we expect to go in the top four maybe, yep. the most controversial. Are you a believer or not? I am, and it's taken me a while. I came into the season, to be honest with you, I thought he was more of a, a backup grade, and to me that's you know later second, third round at the quarterback position. And I thought he became more patient in the pocket. Really, if you go back and look at it, the Ohio State game, they won and, and he played well. But in that, in that game through about the Iowa State game where they lost, he was still Johnny Manziel. And for whatever reason, and I, I've been meaning to ask him this and need to, and maybe I'll ask Lincoln Riley, his coach, he, at that point forward, 
after the loss to Iowa State, he became more of a pocket passer. He, he started to understand the importance of staying in and going through progressions and then being able to, to get out of the pocket. And, and I thought he showed a lot more Russell Wilson the second half of the season. And, and I think, you know, just being able to see that and then the accuracy with which he throws the ball, the, obviously the mobility when he needs it. And I think he just has great football instincts, and I think he's a great leader. So he hit the six-foot height that everybody wants quarterbacks to yep. hit at a minimum, right? I got a theory for you that I've never heard anybody else throw out, and I want to get your take on this. I bet you haven't heard it before. Why don't we measure the eye height as opposed to the height? Because if you have a huge forehead, in theory, like right? Do, like, like a five Like, <laughs> like yep. Peyton Manning, right? Yep. Peyton Manning, everybody's like, oh, he's 6'5", but his eyes might only be like, the you first know, I've heard of this. Why? Like, is could this not revolutionize? Like everybody's like, oh, Drew Brees barely six feet, but Russell Wilson's like, why not go to the eye level? Because that's what matters, right? Like, can you see over the line? The extra head you have yeah, is totally invaluable. It does or not valuable? No, I think that's. I'd be interested to see if they're like how big of a difference. But then again, if we're if we're really worried about six one versus five eleven and a half, then. And if that's, there's an inch difference, that could be, all right, we're going to get that in the combine this year. Yeah, there's no doubt at all about that. <laughs> um, I, and that is funny in and of itself. How many guys go in the first round? Quarterbacks? Yes. Yeah, 30, I, 32. I, I feel good about 32 going in the first round unless one of the teams decides not to pick. If I was Vegas, I would set it at four and a half. I think four is – I feel really good about four. And I think four could go earlier than people are expecting. I, I think at number one, the Browns could easily – let's say they go Sam Darnold. Yeah, Josh Rosen's going to go closely thereafter. It could be to the the Giants at two. The Jets are sitting there at six. The uh, Denver sitting just before them at five. I'll be interested to see if the Jets try to get up ahead of Denver in one of those spots with the Colts at three or the the Browns after they've already taken a quarterback, and they could take a quarterback in, in Baker Mayfield or Josh Allen out of Wyoming. So there's a uh, there's a chance. A legitimate chance that the four quarterbacks go in the first six picks. And if it's anything like last year where we had Kansas City and Houston moving way up to go get their guys, we could see a lot of action in that, that number two spot and number three spot. When you see like one of these things come down, like your, your boy Mel Kuyper who's been doing these mock drafts forever, when you see Josh Allen and he has him at number one, your first reaction, is it to roll your eyes, is it to be like Mel's lost his mind, or are you like, this is going to be great for us to debate because I'm not going to say Josh Allen's number one guy? He, he does a lot of that, okay? He will, he'll put guys in that he doesn't think has a chance of going in the top 25. He'll put them in, the, in their big board just to get attention. Yes. And then he'll, you'll, I've noticed over years, obviously, working with him, then he'll gradually just drop them out. But, hey, I was there. I liked him first. I yes. liked, back, then, back in October, Todd, I had him in, my, in the, you know, the big board and so on and so forth. So he definitely has his, his ways. With that one, I think there's some potential validity to it simply because of Josh Allen and his big arm and in that city, in the AFC North. We've got Marcus Mariota coming on with What's us up, now. Marcus? I'm sure How you, you know him. Uh, let's grab you on that end, too. If you guys can both talk to him. I actually want to ask you, what your take on Marcus Mariota when he was coming into the league was. And, Marcus, do you remember, as you can put that headset on, because everybody's got an opinion of you when you're coming in for the NFL draft, and Todd McShay is really good at what he does. Like, he breaks down everybody. But do you remember what his opinion of you was when you were coming into the league? I don't. I don't. Do, do you remember what your opinion <laughs> was? I had, I had him as the number two quarterback, and I, it was it was very close between you and uh, Jameis, right? Yep. yep. Yeah, we're joined now. We've got I had to- both of you in the top, I think, one, two. We had- it was all said and done. Scott Frost, though, your coach, absolutely, still to this day, I see him once or twice a year. We bet a 
I'm not going to say what we bet. We bet, <laughs> we bet something on, uh, it could be pricey, on whether Jay, you or Jameis would have a better career. And I said, yeah, Scott, I'm not, like, I think he's going to be really good and, and could be just as good, if not better. He's like, no, but you, you don't get it. You don't get it. He's the most accurate quarterback I've ever been around. Da, da, da. So I was like, fine, I'll take the bet. And so we have three more years, he says, and he, every time I see him. Marcus, That's I think awesome. I'm your biggest fan in all the media. Like, I take a lot of flack for saying that I think you're going to be a uh, Hall of Famer. So, no pressure from me at all. Well, I appreciate uh, that. Um, so, you. for you, winning the first playoff game and winning it on the road, I feel like when you're a young guy, and Todd, you've seen this too, it seems like if you get one at a young age of the playoffs, because the pressure keeps going up as you get older and you get into the playoffs, do you feel in any way like you got a weight off your shoulders getting to the playoffs and winning a game, or does that have any, any kind of significance to you at all? Well, I, I think it was a, a step in the right direction for our team. Um, you know, ups and downs throughout the entire year to be able to, to put it together, to win at home against Jacksonville to get in and then win on the road was huge. And I think that for our young core group of guys will help us in the future. You said you, there's a big debate between Jameis and, uh, and Mariota. And I'm curious for you. How much do you watch once the guys get to the NFL? How much do you continue to watch and they evolve and like your rankings? And also for you, it seems like quarterbacks are a little bit like golfers. Like you guys watch each other, you shake hands at the end of the game, you root for each other almost like kickers do, right? Like yeah. kickers on the sideline. Is there some sort of kinship that's different compared to other positions at the quarterback position from your perspective? Well, I think there's a mutual understanding of, of how hard it is to play at this level. And uh, that respect, I think, is showed throughout the week, week to week, being able to shake hands at the end of the game. And um, no matter what, um, when it comes down to it, everyone understands that it, it, it is a game. You take a lot, you put a lot into it. And um, at the end of the day, it's just nice to go over there and, and pay your respect. We got Todd McShay and Marcus Mariota on the, the same time. And I know you're a big fan of this guy, Tua, and the performance that he put forward to win Alabama the national title game. What was your reaction when he threw the touchdown pass in overtime? Oh, uh, I mean, I was probably yelling at the top of my lungs i mean it was i've known to us since he was i mean since he was probably eight nine years old could you tell he was gonna like was he a really athletic eight or nine year old yes. like you could tell already that yes i mean when we me and some of my high school teammates and even some of the guys around uh hawaii when we'd go and work out and he'd be there i mean you'd, we'd all look at each other when he threw the ball like he he's got a chance to be pretty good and it's pretty sweet to see just him grow up and and to to be able to step in a game like that and make the play that he did um, it's pretty awesome. Todd, how reminds would you break him you, down? It reminds yeah. me a little bit of Marcus. Just humble. Kind of a quiet leader, but but no fear. And it's obviously young. talented. Does he have first-round talent? I mean, is it too early I to mean, break I've seen down? 10 throws on, <laughs> on TV, so it's, it's hard to – Does he have first-round talent to you? Is this a guy you expect to play I, in the absolutely. NFL? Absolutely, I think so. I think he's, got a, he's definitely got a chance. If he continues to um, keep his head on straight, which I think – I mean, his interview after the game, that's who he is. Yeah. I, I mean – so as he continues to be himself and, um, you know, continues to fight to get better every day, I think he's got a shot. Todd, I know you've got to keep running, but who are you with us? Who are you with today? I am with ZipRecruiter. Yes. Which kind of a, makes sense. You know, we're both analyze <laughs> yes. talent and, and evaluate talent. And um, the, big, the big pitch and thing that they want me to get out is 80% of employers who yep. post a qualified, who uh, post a job on, their, on the ZipRecruiter site find a qualified candidate through the site in just one day. So, obviously, they do a great job, and, and uh, I'll be pitching them all day. Last question for you. If you were advising Kirk Cousins, where should he go in the NFL? It's tough. Cleveland, to me, is interesting because if you can be the guy that 
finally turns things around. And with all the draft picks they have and all some of the young players they have, I think that that organization has a chance to turn it around in the next couple of years. But you've taken a big risk. You know what? Could Jacksonville afford him? I, I don't know. You know, money's going to be a big issue with that. The Jets have a lot of money, and the Browns have. I saw a, a statistic today. I think the Jets and the Browns have the most salary cap remaining of the two. Is he worth thirty million a year? I mean, no. Compare if you're going to line up all the, you know yes. what Brady makes and everyone right. makes, but but I, at it, the time it's the market, place. so you're yeah. stuck with it. That's the that's the thing that's that's really difficult as a general manager. Outstanding stuff. Appreciate it, Todd. Great seeing you. Yeah, great seeing you. Good to see you. Yeah. Uh, Marcus, we'll finish off the show here. We just have a couple of minutes with you, but I appreciate uh, you joining us here. You got a new tight. You got a new offensive coordinator. You got a new coach. Where were you when you heard that uh, Mike Malarkey wasn't coming back? I was in Nashville. And so, like, was your phone blow up? Like, how did you become aware? Did he call you? Uh, actually, I got uh, Jason Michael, our quarterback coach, talked to me. Um, I love that guy to death. I think he's a great football mind. Um, and then from there, you just kind of hear it, and then um, it was addressed uh, by our general manager. And then from there, uh, really everyone just kind of waited to see what was going to happen. Have you talked very much with Vrabel since he's been hired? Yeah, actually, I've been kind of in and out of Nashville the last couple of weeks, so I've had an opportunity to sit down and talk with him and, uh, I love his vision. I love the direction he wants to take this team, and I think his mentality will, will sit well, well with the players, and hopefully we can just make it happen. What about LaFleur? Have you had a chance to meet your new offensive coordinator? It was actually pretty funny because as, as he was coming in, I was kind of headed out this way. So I uh, spent uh, probably a quick minute with him, um, and it's all, I, I'm excited. I think he's, he's a brilliant mind, and uh, we weren't able to talk a whole lot of ball, but uh, just the opportunity to sit down and talk to him and get to know him, uh, you know, I'm excited. When you don't play football, what do you do? Like, if you don't have to – you're not working. I don't want any football answer. Like, what is your favorite, favorite television show? Like, how would you veg out? We're talking to Marcus Mariota, Titans quarterback. Like, what would you do to chill? It kind of – well, it depends on where I'm at. If I'm at home in Hawaii, uh, it's probably somewhere on the beach. Like, uh, are you a surfer? What do you do on the beach? So I'm a bodyboarder. Uh, so is that dangerous? Like, in your contract, are you allowed to bodyboard? Uh Yes and no. Um, <laughs> I, have, you ever, have you ever come close and thought for a minute, like, uh-oh, I might get hurt here? Bodyboarding can be dangerous, yeah, right, if you I mean, catch the wave the right yeah, way. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, there's instances where I've kind of told myself, probably not a good idea. <laughs> um, but, I mean, it's been a part of my life forever. So right. It's nice to get out of the So the, the beach culture in Hawaii. What about, like, do you watch Netflix? Do you, like, what, what's your escape? Like, anything? Uh, golf. Are you a good golfer? No. I'm, uh, when I'm did okay. you start playing? Really in college. Yeah. I um, had an elective course left to, to take and ended up taking golf. And um, Have you ever gotten a hole-in-one? No, I was close. Actually, um, I was pretty close last time I played. I was in California. Um, Brett Kern's a pretty good golfer, the punter on the Titans stick, team. Does yeah. he talk a lot of trash about that? Uh, no, he's <laughs> he's a humble competitor. He can he can get after it though. Um, I know uh, you got a ton of stuff to do here. Talking like you started at six a.m. I think you're talking all the way until two, right? Yep. All day long. Where does this rank compared to a game? Are you more nervous talking to the media for, for eight hours all day, or is it better to, like, how does it rank in terms of nervousness? Uh, it's kind of the same as a game. You know, once you get into it, once you get into the flow into it, you're just, it's all right. You just kind of go. And um, Personally, I never like these things, but it, it's a great opportunity. It's fun. I get to, to, to spend a day with Spam and, um, you know, really just kind of. Tell me what you're doing with Spam, which yeah, is really funny. Yeah, so. Uh, Span's been a part of my life ever since I can remember. Um, Span's a big deal back home in Hawaii. It's actually based out of Minnesota. Um, and it, it, for me, I, I enjoy um, – it, it's really kind of been a, 
Um, it's in every single meal, it, whether you have it with, with breakfast, you can have it with eggs, you can have it as a snack um, on game days. And um, if you ever need a recipe, go check out Spam.com. I never would have believed that you'd come on and tell us all about Spam, but that's a perfect way to conclude the week of <laughs> sports uh, Super Bowl here. Thank you so much, my Absolutely. man. Good luck next year. Thank Appreciate you very you. much. Appreciate I'm Clay it. Travis. We've been live all weekend from Radio Row here, Minneapolis. Thanks from Fox Sports Radio. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Are your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infinity QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Hey, it's Jonas Knox. You know, in today's world, it seems the best treatment is reserved only for a few. Well, Discover wants to change that by making everyone feel special. That's why with your Discover card, you have access to 24-7 live customer service as well as $0 fraud liability, which means you're never held responsible for unauthorized purchases. Finally, no matter who you are or where you are in life, you'll feel special with Discover. Learn more at discover.com slash credit card. Limitations apply. Today's episode is brought to you by the American Society of Magical Negroes, a fresh satirical comedy about a secret society of magical black people starring Justice Smith, David Allen Greer, and Lee Bogan and Nicole Byer. As an official selection of Sundance 2024, the American Society of Magical Negroes has been heralded by critics as an uproariously sharp-edged satire and a must-see. Now playing only in theaters. Visit the American Society of Magical Negroes film.com to get tickets now.